Hi, everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. Uh, we do another podcast called Sneaky Dragon. That's true. And uh, this one isn't that. I agree. So there we go. If you want to listen to more of us, uh, that would be the podcast to do that on. Uh, if this is your first episode, here's how this works. I have never uh, read Tintin before now. I'm aware of its presence. Tisk tisk. I started books, but I never finished them. Uh, and uh, and so that's my perspective. I'm also a professional comic book writer. That is how I make the majority of my living. Whereas you, on the other hand, you have read these before. Yes, I have. Many times. <laughs> many, many times. Many times. Sorry, you startled me there. Um... Yeah. That's true. I am wearing a freaky clown mask. <laughs> no, just by asking me a question, I was startled. It's like, am I on the show too? I know. I asked you a question like, uh, <laughs> hey, do you like Tintin? I was like, well, where's Wait, the, what's with the what, third degree on this Tintin on, podcast? <laughs> what's going on here? Yes, I've read Tintin. I've read Tintin a lot. I read it more when I was a younger man and uh, less as an adult. Um, I did read it to my kids when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I got them into it by reading them as a bedtime story because it's kind of fun to be able to read them. Uh, you can do your own Captain Haddock voice and Tintin, and Tintin's kind of easy to do. It's kind of. Would you read them in? Uh, would you read a whole book, or would you just read a you bit? You do it in chunks because they are pretty wordy. Yeah, they're pretty wordy, and, and your, uh, your 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 throat gets t- like after a while of talking. You well, get but tired. luckily, as you've said before, these were originally done uh, two pages at a time in uh, newspaper form. Yeah. So there are cliffhangers galore. There's That's a right. lot of good jumping off mm-hmm. places and pick them up places the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the nice thing is, is there's, there's something you can read to your kids and then they pick up on them and they read them themselves. So you aren't responsible to read all 20 whatever books there are, 22 books or, you know, you're not, you're not responsible to read every one to them. So you read a few, uh, you pick and choose which ones you like the best and, and, and then the, the kids can go back and forth and read them. I, I mean, I never started at the beginning. My first one I read was, I believe, the Red Sea Sharks. Now, I was going to ask you this. Uh, if you read them in order when no. you started reading them. No. What because was your, your, so your first your first Tintin was the Red Sea Sharks. I believe so, yeah. That's the one I remember. By the way, when we get to Red Sea Sharks, you'll hear how hard that is for me to say. <laughs> Red Sea Sharks. Yeah. I've got a couple of episodes to practice that. Sure. That's very difficult. You can you can practice away. Um. So, yeah, that that's when I remember the... Like, the cover the most and it seems to me that that's what attracted me to the to the book it may have been that i kind of i feel like it was a watery image so it may have been that it may have been red rackham's uh, treasure but i really feel it was the red sea sharks and um the problem was i was getting them from the public library and so when you went there you it was you know it was a pick and choose you know you didn't you can go in and they'd have all every book lined up for you to choose from so if that book was in you you got it and and you didn't really know and also when you're a kid like nowadays see that's that's great what you have there. But when I grew up, okay, we you got to explain because it's we a, had the it's, older. We're on, we're on yeah, the radio. You yeah, can't sure. just say. I'm going what to. I, okay. I'm going to. When I was a kid, the back cover was a different format. Like now, it's formatted so it starts with uh, Land of the Soviets, and then it goes right down to Tintin and, and Elf Art, the unfinished, the final unfinished book. When I was a kid, when we grew up, it had a weird uh, way of. It, so it had most of the books in a block, and then it had one, uh, the making of the film called In the World of the Inca. There was one book there, and then there was... Sorry, so there was a Tintin film called In the World of the Inca? I, it says, The Making of Tintin in the World of the Inca, The Seven Crystal Balls, Prisoners of the Sun, plus... I don't know, sorry, I have to get my progressives going here. And then there's a little bit more writing, I can't read it. So, I've never had that book, because I wasn't... That's not Hergé, so I'm not that interested in it. But what, sorry, are you saying that Tintin, those were made into movies? Is that what mm-hmm. you were just saying? Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so then, uh, but then, off on the other side, sort of off by itself, was The Blue Lotus... So when you were a kid, you assumed, if you were thinking chronologically, you said, well, that's where it starts. It starts with the Blue Lotus, and then it goes to Tintin in America, Cigars of the Pharaoh, and the rest, because that's how it's lined up on the cover. 
So as a kid, I wasn't too sure what the chronology was. Uh, it took me a while to figure out, oh, but it wasn't until I read them that I, I was able to kind of piece it together as I own them. Right. I was able to piece it together. Now in my, now we're, now we're reading different versions. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine is the uh, Edgemont. Uh, version. What what have you got there? You've got a previous. I have. Version. Yeah, I've got uh, Magnet. It's it's the Methuen. Now Magnet you, was their line. Are you reading it in French here? Or are you reading? No, it I don't the... have this one in French. Okay. Um, I've been the French ones. I've been collecting. Well, I have a friend who is out and about a lot, and he kind of scouts for me. And if he finds some, he'll he'll let me know. And I collect the French ones. I wanted to have them in hardcover. The English hardcover are actually quite expensive to try and collect. They're fairly pricey. Not super costly, but. It's much cheaper yeah. to get the French ones here in non-speaking French world, where the French books kind of, no one, you know, there's just not a demand for them the way there is for the English-speaking hardcover books. And I want them from a particular era. I want the older ones. I don't want the new, newer ones. So, Well, now, here's my, here's my question on that. In my version, the Edgemont version, which seems mm-hmm. pretty modern, yeah. um, there, are, there are scenes in the book where uh, he refers to, because this is a continuation of Cigars of the Pharaoh. That's right. Um, there are some references to Cigars of the Pharaoh, and then there's the asterisk, and much like you'd have in a modern uh, superhero comic, yeah. the asterisk then leads you to the bottom of the page, see Cigars of the Pharaoh. Now, in yours, uh, does it do that, or does it just go, well, you'll figure it out? <laughs> where, where in your book did it do that? I that don't... is a good question. And uh, the well, let's, well, as we go through, we we'll, will get, we'll look for it. Let's we look will for it get to it, yeah. Uh, we don't want to like, bother you. I with, don't remember seeing that, with so it's page, possible. Yeah, it happens at least twice in here, mm. so we, we shall get to it. Um, so again, because yeah, I think, you know, when these books were... For me, when they were coming out, there was less of that sense of a curated collection or that even people would think about it in that sense of reading it chronologically and things, you know. You can tell that they didn't think about it because they put the Blue Lotus outside the chronology on the back cover of yeah, the Yeah, and yet, at least in, in mine, you know, uh, it starts off with him where he ended up last time. Mm-hmm. And when he mm-hmm. sees the faker for the first time, uh, he goes, oh, another one. Yeah. So if you didn't, if you weren't aware there was a previous story, that would seem strange. They're like, oh, Tintin happens to run into fakers all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, if you, but like I say, I don't think people thought about it like that. Like it would also kind of ruin the look, you know, sorry, we're going to, by the way, this is a spoiler podcast, so uh, if you don't want the book spoiled for you, read it first and then follow along with us. Have oh, we said what book it is? Oh, uh, I don't think we have yet, but <laughs> everyone who has downloaded it has seen the, seen title, the title of it, <laughs> yes. so it's The Blue Lotus. No one is flicking the channels on the internet and yeah. just stumble bummed on this. Um, but there's a there's a, a scene at the end where it's a big reveal, and it's like, look at this tattoo. And if you haven't read the previous book, mm-hmm. you're like, hey, it is a tattoo that means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. But if you have, it's da da da. Yeah, get yeah. it. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm sure that. that was the case for me as a kid. I'm I'm pretty positive I didn't read them in any kind of particular. But order, again, as so. a kid, you're always going to be reading things and not understanding everything. Yeah. And so you, I mean, a kid, a kid's life is a jigsaw puzzle that you know always has a bunch of pieces missing, and over time you fill it in as best you can. And yeah. then when you become a grown adult, finally you go, oh, I sort of get it. It makes <laughs> it makes sense to me now. Sort of. Maybe it does, and maybe we'll try making sense as we go along. Now, uh, we usually start off with a little bit of. Uh, uh, context for the story, mm-hmm. um, and, and just yeah. a, just a kind of overview. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you have something on on that? Well, this able? actually is interesting because I would, uh, besides the Destination Moon, the Destination Moon and Explorers on the Moon, this was probably the most heavily researched book of all of the Hergé's Tintin books. Like, you know, the ones before this, including the Cigars of the Pharaoh. You know, where even though that's a good book, they're pretty much in terms of 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 uh, how he explored those worlds, they're pretty limited. I mean, we know he was push, cr- 
you know, pressed for time anyway, that he had a pretty heavy workload, not only at the newspaper, but also as a, you know, privately. He had started uh, a company called Atelier Hergé with some two other artists. They all kind of put in 500 francs together and rented a, a studio space. And the idea was that they would be pr- uh, creating advertising material. Because mm. he was actually much more interested in advertising than he was in, in comic books or cartooning. You know, as a as an early as a beginning artist, because he was looking for some way to make a living yeah. as an artist, and there really was no market for as an artist, and so, or as a cartoonist, you know, your market was in advertising and illustrating and stuff. So he started this place with these other artists. So that was a side job that he had going at the same time that he was working at for Le Petit Vantiem, drawing the drawing Tintin. Now, by his own admission, uh, the you know, he was pretty much treating Tintin up to that point as pretty much a lark. It was just a bit of fun. He hardly ever thought about it until the day it was, the deadline was due. And then he sat down and he drew the two pages that day. And they went in that evening to press. It was a very successful lark. Yes. You know, if you've got, you know, the uh, person dressed as the character and crowds of people are gathering to see his fictional return, mm-hmm. which happened with the first two. Yeah. Crowds of kids, but yeah. And well, I mean, that's part of it, right? Yeah. You have to think of the time and where kids ranked. In terms of, of social standing, which right. is pretty low. And where, you know, literature for kids ranked in terms of social standing, which is pretty low. And where cartoons that hardly existed at all, you know, and were pretty much thought of as just mere ephemera and to be thrown away after, after use. Uh, you know, for Hergé, you know, there was very little, you know, one, there's very little monetary future in it as far as you could see, but also very little prestige in it as well. It was much more prestigious to be a successful advertising artist than to be a cartoonist at that time, you know. And so, yeah, for someone looking, yeah, for someone looking for a, so looking for a living, so he's probably thought as much of his spot illustrations and his and his illustrations for articles in the rest of the newspaper as he felt for Tintin. Mm-hmm. Probably more for those ones. They're probably more cleverly done. And yet, Tintin must have been uh, making money for the paper. I mean, if mm-hmm. it's if it's popular enough to have a huge crowd show up. Yeah. You know, to see again the fictional version of the character, yeah. then he, he must be sell. It must have been selling ads. You know, it must have been uh, profitable. Sure. So sure. And I mean, the paper wanted him there. Right. I mean, after f- we talked about last time, where Father Wale was was forced to resign. Uh, you know, after that point, Hergé constantly tried to leave, and he was pretty much bribed to stay on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and some some there was some emotional blackmail as well. You know, what do we do without you? And uh, you know. You are the backbone of this That's organization. That's what you do with artists. Yeah, you of course. Play those notes. Sure. And so you know he stayed on at a sense of of you know a sense of honor that he you know he you know they expected this you know he had promised these things and so he had to deliver and and you know that that went on for quite a while. So uh, he's ha- so you know that's it's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, we're when we look back at Tintin, of course, we're looking at something from a different viewpoint. How comics are held today is a lot different than how they were looked at then. So it's hard for us to understand his mindset at that time. I mean, it's more his wife that supported him pushing forward with Tintin than he himself. If, you know, he may have just given up on it entirely if she hadn't saw the value of it, to, not just to him, but as right. as a character and as a as an art form. I can sort of see it art form wise. I just, you know, if his concern was financial, you know, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, very uh, much so. Well, very much so. Then it was making money. So, you know, it is making money. Well, it wasn't making, I mean, it was doing okay. I mean, because it was pretty limited at that time, right? 
where it sold. It sold basically in Belgium. Right. And then it had, it was syndicated in a, in a French Catholic paper and a Swiss, Swiss Catholic paper. So it wasn't like, and then, you know, it's, there's some sales of albums. What's the, I was going to ask that. Yeah. How, how did the album sell? So they did okay. But I mean, when, you know, it was a limited market. It wasn't worldwide. It wasn't sold in a bunch of different languages. It was just in French at that point. That's right. Yeah. It was just in French. So, and, uh, yeah, just in French. So, you know, the markets that it had were, predominantly French-speaking markets. A little later, it was translated into, like, Dutch, and it was in, in papers in, in Holland. But, uh, yeah, overall, it, you know, it was a pretty, pretty small area that it was covering. I mean, when you look at that part of Europe, you know, if you just kind of drew a circle around it, it's not very many, not very large area. It's a lot of countries, right. but not a large area. Uh, so, yeah, so, it, what, but when it came to the Blue Lotus, I think in a way he was kind of ready to move on, maybe move up a step, that he felt like he'd gone this far, that he's pretty happy with the art, you know, and so now it's time to start thinking about the story. And so uh, he kind of did the same thing he did with, with Tintin uh, in America, which is basically the end of Cigars of the Pharaoh. He says, next time we're going to China. So everyone kind of knew he was going to China. And one thing they would do in the in Le Petit Ventien when, when he wasn't drawing Tintin is they wanted to keep people's attention on it. So they would have uh, interviews with Tintin. So the character would be interviewed by, by someone and it would answer questions about about the country. So, you know, he's being asked, you know, are you going to China? And what's, you know, what's going to happen? And uh, so in the interview, like Tintin's talking about going to China. And then there's like jokes about Chinese torture and that Snowy's possible abduction in a country that likes to eat dogs. So it was very much playing into the this very European or very Western idea of what Chinese people were, which is a very stereotypical, the Yellow Peril. Right. You know, this is after the Boxer Rebellion, which was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, atrocious on both sides. But of course, you're not going to hear about the you know the European side of the atrocity. You're only going to hear about the Chinese side of the atrocity. But even even I mean, it's very. I mean, this is the thing, you know, uh, there, for the last couple of books, you know, there have been racial stereotypes that you go, well, that was of the era at yeah. best. Yeah. You've got to. So when you see Tintin's going to China, there's a bit of me that goes, all right, here we go. And who's he going <laughs> up against? The Japanese. Okay. So here we're going to go. But it's, it's very solid. And, and there, there actually is a, a nice scene in there where he makes fun of people that are, uh, that stereotype the Chinese. Well, that's the thing. So. Let's think about the other appearances of Chinese people in Tintin up to that point. One the is torturers, the torturers in the Soviet land of the Soviets, right? And there's one that we haven't seen, but in Tintin in America, in the black and white version, in the scene where he is tied to the strangely wooden dumbbells and thrown into the lake, in the original black and white version, those were Chinese uh, gangsters who, you know, once again renowned for their brutality and and cruelty. Right. So they're the ones who are Tintin's delivered to. Oh no, it's not just a bunch of you know, white guys, now it's Chinese. This is serious. You know, that's right. the kind of attitude. Well, that it's was, interesting that later on, it. and we will get to it, you know, where he is saying to them, people think this and mm-hmm. that and the other. And you mm-hmm. want the kid to go, what, did they read your first two books? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's how they're dressed, but man, that's the stuff that you're talking about. But I yeah, mean, it is almost, it feels like an apology for sure. what has come before. He's, he's, he's including himself in that that description. He's talking about what he, how he viewed them himself. Right. He's not, ex- he's not excusing himself from that if you said but what that I'm, was you what i'm say, saying yes, is like it, it actually goes uh you know you see you see the way uh chinese and japanese people are drawn in this you're mm-hmm. like okay well the teeth are a little big but mm, okay here we go but then yeah they do get uh they do address the issue later on and uh, and address it well yeah I think. 
Well, or at least as well as something of that era. You don't have you don't have anything in you know uh, to to compare Will Eisner's The Spirit, yeah. where you know at some point he's talking to Ebony and go, boy, you know, uh, folks like you are presented oddly in in fiction nowadays, yeah. huh? Because this, that, and the other. You know, there's none of that. Yeah. In uh, anywhere else I've ever seen, mm-hmm. it's just directly addressed in the book. Sure. Well, there's a reason for that. And this is what the reason is. Tell me. Well, let's just say, well, the reason that Hergé wanted to send wanted to hit, send Tintin to China, he had a few different reasons. One was he hadn't been there yet. That's the main thing. He, it's very he was exotic. In, he was yeah. in India, and he thought that's the next natural progression, this big country, this kind of mystery. So he was interested in that part of it. He also was interested, he says he was interested in talking about what was happening with the Japanese in China at that time. So it was kind of not really in the news. It was in the news, but all the news about it was on the Japanese side against the Chinese. So most European sentiment, if you ask them at that time, you know, who's in the right here, they would say it's Japanese. You know, they had to do what they're doing. So uh, Hergé, you know, wanted to look at that. And, just, you know, just, he, he kind of liked the, this sort of idea, the, the mystery of the Orient was part of it as well. So now, luckily for him and the community, that he, you know, or the... Uh, I used to say the milieu that he lived in was very religious, obviously. He worked for a Catholic newspaper. So there was lots of there were lots of Catholic missionaries who'd been to China, and there was this kind of back and forth from China to Belgium with the missionaries. There were Chinese students who came from China to study at the Catholic universities. So there was this connection to that place. So there's three different uh religious people like uh contacted Erge. One he knew, already knew, this guy named uh Father Edward Nue. Or Neu, I don't know how to say his name, but he uh, he was he was like an abbey at this uh, monastery called Saint Saint Andre le Bruges, and he sent Hergé a couple books. Like he contacted him and then sent him a couple books. One was on the origin of the conflict in Manchuria, so it was a description of how this you know this Japanese uh, or the conflict with the Japanese had kind of come about. Another one was called Cheng Chen's My Mother, which is just a way to humanize Chinese people for Hergé to say you know they're not just monsters; they have yeah. you know. And so he also sent him newspaper articles that he annotated that analyzed the difference between Japanese and Chinese cultures so that he would understand that it's not just one big glob of, of uh, people who look all the same. They're actually different. They have different cultures and different thought processes. And, of course, Japanese culture at that time was very militaristic, much different than it is now when they're not actually allowed to have a military. Yeah. At that time, it was pretty much kind of like Prussian culture in a way. It was just very much a militaristic Well, this is culture. what I, I was curious about was uh, what you know, the attitude towards the Japanese was at this point, because it does seem to be, in this story at least, it seems to be they're planning something. They've got an agenda and they're... Um, but what's interesting is Hergé was going against the grain of public sentiment yeah. at the time with, with his story. They seem to be playing it the way they played the Russians all through the uh, 80s and 90s yeah. and what have you. Yeah. So Father Nu, or Nu, how do you say his name, introduced him to another man. This man, his name was Liu Sengxiang. And he was actually a Chinese ambassador to Holland. And uh, when his wife died, he quit. He quit the world and be, and became a seminarian. Went and became a, and basically became a father. Right. And so then he became uh, Father Celestin. And so he introduced him. Like he had been. He wasn't. wasn't just a diplomat. He also was a minister under Dr. Sun Yat Sen. Uh, so he was part of like the government in, in China. So he had quite a connection to China. And so. You know, he was able to introduce Hergé to some people as well. And, and, and so I'll just talk about his influence in a second. And then Please. the third person was this guy named Father Gasset. And he was an advisor to Chinese students at the Catholic University of Louvain. 
And so, you know, he was kind of closely involved with these people. And so when he heard that Hergé was going to do this story, he was kind of concerned that it was just going to be another load of stereotypical garbage just heaped on the heads of, of Chinese people. And if he had and, read the previous Tintin stories, yeah, you, you know, that's, a fair, that. that's yeah. a fair suspicion yeah. to have. So he wrote to Hergé to warn him against Chinese stereotypes that would hurt the feelings of his students. Because they read Le Petit Vingtième. They were fans of Tintin. He said, these are people who love your work. You know, and it's unfair to them to present them in this one-sided, stereotypical way that you need to, you need to meet them and, and understand them. And Ergie was game. Like, he was totally, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I want to read these books. I want to meet these people. I want to understand this. And so um, he, uh, so what's interesting is around this time, there was another interview in Le Petit Vingtième with, with Tintin. And so in this, in this one, the interviewer asked if he was scared of the Chinese. And this is after he's got the letter from Father Gasset. And so, uh, this was, uh, Tintin's answer. Scared of the Chinese? Obviously, there are all sorts, as with Europeans. But the Chinese in general are charming people, very polite, highly cultured, and most hospitable. Many of the missionaries I have encountered in my travels have spoken of a China they love, they love greatly. And it is an error to believe that all Chinese are false, cruel, etc. So it was an interesting turnaround. Yeah, so already yeah. he was starting to, to listen to these people and say, you know, this is a good point. Like, you know, not only is it a good point, I mean, just to be kind of more practical, it's not just a good point in terms of, of, uh, being fair to people, but also a good point as an artist and as a commercial artist to make your work commercially acceptable to everyone, not just to a narrow scope, a bunch of people in Europe, you know, yeah. like make it internationally acceptable. Well, and just as a storyteller, if you have the Chinese being evil and then the Japanese are being evil, why are you there? Yeah, who are you protecting from who? Sure. You know? Sure. So he actually traveled to Louvain, went to the university, met some students there, met uh, an, uh, this guy who's like an expert in Chinese theater. His name was Arnold Chiao Cheng Chi, and met his, he had a fiance, Suzanne Lin, and they talked and met and, you know, just had like polite conversation. And they were, you know, they were from China. So they had, you know, they could speak French, but they had, they spoke French with a Chinese accent. Mm hmm. And, you know, they're charming people, and, and Hergé was very taken with them. And then uh, both Father Celestin and Father Gosset talked to another uh, person they thought that Hergé would really get along with, because he was an art student. And his name was, uh, I want to get this right, his name was Chong Cheng Chen. And so you see it spelled differently in different places. Some people put a, the ZH, so Zong Zhang yep. Zen. It just depends on who, where you're reading, because you can put a T in front of it, just whatever. So... Uh, so now, so Celestin and Gosset, they both kind of said to, to, to Chang, uh, let's just call him Chang. They said to Chang, you know, we'd, you know, we'd like you to meet Hergé. He's thinking of writing a book about China and he needs someone who's lived there and knows it and can explain to him what it's really like there. And this is an opportunity for you to bring China to Europe, you know. And so he was very eager to do this. And so, uh, they met, they got together. And so Chang was 26 and Hergé was 27. So they're both about the same age. And, uh, but Chang was from Shanghai. He'd been in theater. He'd acted in theater. And then he'd gotten a scholarship to come to, to Europe, to Belgium, to study art. And he was studying painting and sculpture at the, uh, Royal Academy of Beaux-Arts. But he knew nothing about comics. So he didn't know anything about Tintin at that time. So now Hergé had taken a break after Cigars of the Pharaoh. He just, so there's a bit of a lull. Usually he kind of stopped one and started the next one. But this how, time, how long a break did he take? Just a couple months. Okay. Just to kind of work work through this. So so uh, Chang would come every Sunday and they would just sit and talk or they go for walks and talk about things, talk about nature, talk about philosophy, talk about life in China, 
Chang would tell him stories about life there. And then he uh, brought Hergé um, like a set of Chinese brushes and books on calligraphy to show him like how you know Chinese calligraphy worked and, and stuff like that. And actually really influenced Hergé's art. His art took a major step forward at this time. And he kind of dropped the older style and sort of took up the sort of merge, merging of Chinese uh, style and, and his, you know, his own style kind of merged together to create what we think of as the clear line style. And this is kind of the beginning of that style with the Blue Lotus. Because if you look at the Blue Lotus, uh, the first four pages are, were redrawn in 1946. Okay. So then at the point where um, Snowy tumbles down the, or the, the trunk tumbles down the steps, yeah. or the Sikhs carrying the, and falls down the steps, that's where the, 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 the black and white version starts. He did very little redrawing. There's a little, there's a few minor touches of redrawing throughout the book, but very little. Okay. So basically, unlike any of the other books where he did major, had to do major rewrites and reworking of the, you know, to, to kind of make it more uh, coherent, it was a very planned book. And this is why, because he sat down with someone and he planned it all out. Not only did they plan out, um, not only did they plan out like how the story would go, but they planned out how it would look. So he, they sat and did, they did sketches, like Herjay sketched how Chinese people looked and how Japanese people looked, what was different about their features. Mm -hmm. And not just, you know, and also culturally what was different. And then, um, so, and then they sketched like market scenes or street scenes and stuff like that, like a typical Shanghai street scene. And so Herjay would draw and, and Chang would make corrections or tell him, you know, this would be like this or things were happening. And then the other thing that they did, which was interesting, is that as Hergé worked on it, Chang would come and take the pages home, and he would add all the calligraphy to it. Oh, okay. So, so if you remember, like the, in Land of the Soviets, there's a scene where, in that scene with the, the torture chamber, uh, when, one of the, when one of the Chinese uh, torturers gets hurt, he yells out something in, in mock Chinese. So there's just a you know, pretense that pretend, you know, very, you know, just a pretend at Chinese-style writing. Oh, it was just right? made up. Right? Okay. Because... Where would Hergé know how to get real ones, right? So, well, I would assume someone would know, but okay, go ahead. Well, but I mean, on the day you're working, like oh. you're working the Wednesday and to get it finished. I understand, but time. you plan a little bit in advance. It's like, I've got a character screaming in Chinese. Yeah. Where am I going to find that? I don't know. Someone. So, yeah. So, it just kind of makes me look kind of Chinese. But in this case, Chang added all these, all these little uh, ideograms to it. And a lot of them are saying things. Some of them are commenting on the action in a way that kind of, that sort of subverts it or is ironic to what's actually what's actually in the scene nice and then uh so yeah it was just kind of that and so and then the other thing was you know chang was there to explain to him what was actually happening in manchuria what happened in that in that in the i think it's called the i should have written it down the mukden incident i believe is what kind of started like basically what happened it's the same in the book japanese saboteurs came in and created an incident so that the, Chi the japanese could then move in to take care of the incident and that was basically it they created an excuse for themselves to invade manchuria and Chinese people knew that, but very few people outside of China knew that. And so, you know, so everyone was, you know, well, you're lions and creating all these and cutting people's heads off and all kinds of barbaric behavior. They're, you know, they're bringing civilization to that, to that region. Of course, they have to step in, you know, and because that was what the Japanese were telling them, you know, and they, no one was hearing what was happening with the Chinese. They were, they were being oppressed by another group of people, right? So, so, uh, that was very revealing. It's almost, you know, it's almost like a piece of history, what you're reading in The Blue Lotus, in that sense. Um, so, and in fact, partway through the serial, um, 
Hergé was visited by this guy named General Raoul Pontus, who was the head of the Sino-Belgian Friendship Association. Which as you hear that, you just think someone's in the pay of the Japanese, I assume. But because uh, why is it Sino, which is Chinese, right? The Chinese-Belgian. But he came and to make a protest on behalf of the Japanese mm. against, against the, and you know, he was threatened with, with uh, censorship and they're going to bring him to court and all this stuff like that. And Chang was like, no, no, no. They're not going to do that because then the truth would come out. What all this tells us is that it's, you know, they know it's right and they're trying to make you stop, but you have to keep going. And so, so yeah, Hergé just kept going with it, you know, and kept telling the story. So, um, now there's a couple, there's a couple of things that are, it's just, it's just interesting because in a way, this is kind of like, what would you want to call it? It's sort of, one of like a major change in, like let's say that meeting Father Willet was a major was a major change in his life. All right. This was the next major change in his life. Meeting Chang, like they had this really brief but intense friendship. He his mind was opened up to a world outside of Europe, outside of this very bourgeois, oppressive Roman Catholicism that he had, he grew up with and and still lived with. He became very interested in Taoism and Zen Buddhism for the rest of his life, and you know he just and just embraced a world outside of what he. would ever knew known before all because of this one person and now chang was was actually near the end of of the book near the end of the blue lotus was asked by his family to come back to china so and he was homesick he wanted to so he did he left shortly after the book was done i've heard two stories one is he left in july the other is he left in october so either he left before it was finished which doesn't make sense to me because the ideograms continue throughout the book mm -hmm. even to the end so i don't know how he could have done that if he had left so let's say he actually left in october and he Unlike when he came from China by boat, kind of almost straight to Belgium. This time he was doing the Grand Tour. He was going to go around Europe and then through Italy and leave from Venice. And so he was taking the train. And, of course, Hergé wanted to see him off. And then he was late. So he got to the station and he was running down the platform, waving his hat and shouting. <laughs> and that was the last time they saw each other for about, let's say, 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Because after that, Chang returned to China, you know, and there was the war. Yeah. And then there was a... Uh, Chinese the the communist revolution yeah, back in, uh, and that was the end of it so they just had no contact with each other for a long time so what was when did they meet like 40 years later they didn't what? meet until 74 uh, Hergé was at a party and he met he met someone uh, from Shanghai and he said you wouldn't happen to know a sculpture whose name is Chang and he just kind of gave him some okay. stuff and he goes you know what that sounds familiar I'll, when I go back I'm going to look into that for you and he it was him it was Chang the Chang that Hergé had known he was a sculpture in uh, China, a lot of his works had been destroyed during like the Cultural yeah. Revolution, but uh, he was still working as a sculptor. Sculptor, he wasn't a sculpture. One of those people stand on the street yeah. and pretend that they're really. That was still. tough. The government yeah. making people sculptures. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. That's cheap. Communism. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he was still a sculptor, and he came over to because uh, um, because Hergé had visited Taiwan in '73, I believe. He wasn't allowed to go to China. So uh, Chang was actually brought to to Europe, and he met uh, he met um, Hergé there, and he did a sculpture of Hergé for Ang Angoulême, and yeah, so they it was quite a heart, it was very emotional meeting for for, and we'll talk about it a bit more because there's a, a book later on that's very much about this part of of Hergé's oh, life. Okay. Um. So yeah, it was a big change for him. It was a major change for him, and yeah, it's interesting. And what's really interesting is is, you know, we can almost say this is like the first. Of a kind of new era for in Tintin. Well, it's a much more mature story. Much more mature story, and this the amount of documentation and research that he put into it. He would never back off of that again, mm -hmm. because he felt that he felt that to not to not uh, to not know about what he was writing about was disrespectful, to especially the, to in the other country. Yeah, to make yeah. it generic. Yeah, 
Yeah. And sometimes he would. He wouldn't have real countries. We'll see later, like in sure. King Autocar Scepter, there's Sildavia and, you know, in places like, you know, so, you know, he's kind of doing these sort of composite European countries that are, you know, kind of like this place over there, you know, kind of based sort of like on Albania, let's say, uh, or Santheopolis, I believe, or whatever. We'll get to that. This sort of made up South American country as well, just because he didn't want to offend those countries by writing about them that closely. So he made up, made up a country, but mostly it was very accurate to, to those areas. So yeah, so let's, uh, now that we've burned through four hours of the show, let's... Uh... <laughs> By the way, uh, if you get to the very end of this show, uh, you get a cookie. <laughs> I mean, you've got to supply your own cookie, but I say if you do get to the end of our show, give yourself a little treat. All right, so why don't we start then, uh, as we usually do, with page one. Will that work for you, Dave? Yep, go ahead. Okay. Sorry, I just... Dave was looking at the computer uh, in a way that sometimes means this is being deleted right now <laughs> as we're recording, and we don't want to get to the end of one of these long podcasts and go, oh yeah, we didn't hit that uh, record button. Yeah. Time to time to do it again. All right, so we are starting off where we left off last time. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, and, and again, we're starting off, uh, you know, with a typical Tintin thing, which is uh, Grumpy Snowy. Snowy's yes. complaining, can't get a wink of sleep. Well, we also uh, start with a typical, on... typical Tintin thing, which is a newspaper article right. to help us know what's happening in the story. That's right. So uh, Tintin and Snowy are in India, guests of the Maharaja of uh, Guy Pajama. Still not sure if that, that's a good phrase. <laughs> uh, enjoying a well-earned rest, but he's not resting. Tintin never rests. No. No. Uh, the evil gang of international drug smugglers enc- encountered in Cigars of the Pharaoh has been smashed. See, this is my thing. So there, we've already just mentioned Cigars of the Pharaoh. So if you were reading this for the first time, yeah. would that in your book refer to Cigars of the Pharaoh? In the, in this part here, yeah. Yeah, okay, so it does. So uh, so you would know that, oh, I better go get Cigars of the Pharaoh, even if the back of your book has it come later on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I better go check this out to see what's well, up. Well, you probably don't. You're, probably, you're a little kid, so you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but oh well. Well, I think... I like the drawings. Even Let's it, carry on. Okay, as, even as a little kid, when it goes, as seen in Cigars of the Pharaoh, on the back of the book there's Cigars of the Pharaoh. You should probably know it's Cigars of the Pharaoh. Anyway, uh, so uh, as encountered in Cigars of the Pharaoh, has been smashed and its members are behind bars. With one exception, only the mysterious gang leader is unaccounted for. He disappeared over a cliff. Mm-hmm. Will we see him later? Well, I wonder. Yeah, as we, we know, if you don't see the body, you will soon see the return. That's right. Uh, but questions are still to be answered. What of the terrible Rajaja juice? Oh, great. You're making me say this stuff, huh? <laughs> the poison of madness. There is no cure for that. It makes people silly and sing and yeah. go crazy. Yeah. Uh, there were shipments of opium going. Uh, where were the shipments of opium going? Hidden in the false cigars, the cigars of the pharaoh. Spoilers, by the way. Uh, if you have not read Cigars of the Pharaoh, uh, this these two panels will ruin it for you. I uh, still should read it. And who really was the mastermind behind the operation? So Tintin's on this. Yeah. He's trying to check out what's going on. He's on a shortwave radio. And again, really annoying Snowy with uh, with checking all this stuff out. At the end of the, of last, the last show, I said, at the end of Cigars of the Pharaoh, I said it was the Empire Strikes Back moment of the, of the, uh, the books. where That's where you have that kind of strange, not really a ending... And it just kind of has people doing something, and then it stops. Right. And that's kind of how it ended. What actually happened in Cigars of the Pharaoh is these pages were the actual ending of Cigars of the Pharaoh. But they weren't used in the book. They were put at the beginning of this book uh, because the uh, original opening of The Blue Lotus didn't work very well. Okay. So they trans- they put the uh, beginning of Cigars of the Pharaoh. They took some pages and, and repurposed them for this. Oh, all that's right. That's why they were redrawn. That's why okay, these are from 46. All right. So, uh, so Tintin's uh, trying to... Th- check things out on a shortwave radio 
uh, gets a gets a message, but he doesn't think it makes any sense. Uh, direct special attention, Charles Yokohama, urgently uh, going oddly slow in Istanbul. Ten nasty gaps in Saturday. Uh, man's means Tibetan medicine easily changes west. Echo. Oh, what the heck could that mean? We don't know. I guess we will soon. But let's put that aside. Uh, Tintin's being summoned right now. Yeah. Uh, the Maharaja requests his presence. Yes. Uh, so here we have, we in the uh, Scars of the Fair, we had an ev- evil figure. Now we have a friendly, a seemingly friendly one. Or at least a uh, funny one. Only those wild eyes really don't uh, help you make have much right. confidence in, in them. So uh, the figure uh, is doing it's a... It's kind dem- of a classic gag. It's a good gag, actually. Good now gag. here's the gag is uh, the faker is demonstrating all the stuff he can do. He can dance on broken glass. He can stick knives through his legs and not arms. Just, not just right through them, clean through them. Clean through, no pain. <laughs> uh, he can uh, balance on his nose on a spike, and he can spin around. Yeah. Uh, there's spikes all around, doesn't bother him, but he sits on a soft pillow. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes, terrible. Yeah. And what I liked about this is he's, he has to have his cushion brought in, and it's a return of the torture device from Latin of the Soviets. Oh, you're right. It's, com- it's like exactly the same as this. If this was a movie, you'd think they're being cheap and just using the same prop over yeah. and over again because they already paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a good device is always uh, tell your character uh, the uh, future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's worked in Macbeth. It's going to work now. That's right. But not, yeah, it's a vague future so that it doesn't totally, it's not all spoilers. So right. you just kind of know that something is happening. Well, why don't you say what, he, uh, what the future uh, holds for Tintin? What the future holds for Tintin? Oh, I can't remember now. The future holds for Tintin is well, luckily you've got a book in front of you. I that do have a book you. in front of, front of you, and he says, "So he says, he says, I see an enemy you think is dead, but he's he plans he plans revenge." And then he says, "I see one of my own brotherhood, an evil, you know, a, a bad one who is dedicated to your downfall, and you know who's watching you." And then he says, "I see a man with yellow skin, his hair is black, he wears glasses, he has sworn to destroy you." And that's interesting because then. There's a visitor, mm-hmm. and it's a man. I don't want to say it's a man with yellow skin, because that doesn't feel very nice to say if you'll have yellow skin. No, it isn't. At the time, even it's interesting, even in the in the, uh, in the the uh, letters between Hergé and like Father Gosset, this man who cared very much for Chinese people, even he says, this will be a great benefit for, the, for both whites and yellows. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it just... At the time, it just seemed fine. Yeah. So it's hard to judge when everyone's saying it, and even people of, of a, you know of a saintly or sympathetic disposition you just kind of have to just oh well okay. Un- <laughs> understood by the way that description if you're about to go to china yeah. thanks for the help yeah that's right yeah that's right so what you're saying is dark hair and glasses look out i'm on it okay i'll keep <laughs> an eye out his visitor is a man with dark hair and glasses that's true and so he's so, very but tintin says to himself be careful tintin so yeah. hopefully he will and this is uh, before thought balloon, so he says it out loud. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so now the man tries to tell him something. You know, he's wanting to tell him something important. He gets struck by a dart full of rajaja. Let's say rajaja. Since you say it's guy pajama, we're all gonna go with your pronunciation of the AI as an I sound. Sure, sure. So it's rajaja juice. All right, I'm gonna get madness. it wrong. Let's go madness juice. Let's just call it that <laughs> for the sake of it. The juice of madness. And then uh, Snowy gets his hat. Let's call it. On let's him. call it booster juice. <laughs> let's not. That's we. We hope one day to get sponsorship for this show. So let's and not do that. So, uh, so yeah. Be briefly, he's briefly able to tell him a bit of a a bit of his message, but it's very garbled. And then he begins to say in China, "Tong si nan pei," which is east, west, south, north. Mm-hmm. And he's singing a song, and then Tintin says, "Poor fellow, he's gone mad. He knows 
what's happened. So yeah, and there's this. no coming back. There's no coming back from this madness. He's, he thinks he's, he's a dog. He's imitating Snowy. He's talking to Snowy, I guess. So it's here's the thing. It's a very sad thing when you get hit with the madness juice. And but you, you do become funny. It's kind of adorable. Yeah, it's the kind of crazy that you'd go, I wouldn't mind walking through that insane no, asylum. that's right. Because we've been there before, and you think, like, what's in there? A bunch of Napoleons? Yes. There, there are, are Napoleons there are riding Napoleons. people who think they're horses. <laughs> you know, if it's, you've got to be crazy, you don't have to be that kind of crazy, but right. it helps. <laughs> You don't have to be crazy to be in Tintin. Yeah. So uh, Tintin packs his trunk. I just love him jumping up and down on it. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Just a little, you know, it doesn't need to do that, but what the heck. Well, I like that there's another guy that then has to carry the trunk for him, which seems like a bit of a jerk move on Tintin's part to have well, that much stuff in there. But, you know, okay. It's, for a guy that always wears things. the same shirt, it's two things. why so. are you packing so much clothes? But it's kind of that thing where, like, you're helping the, the guy whose job it is to do something, and they're kind of like, hey, what am I? Chop liver? You ever, you ever feel that way sometimes? You're, <laughs> okay. But you're like, I don't want this guy to do, you know, I don't want this guy to move all the boxes by himself. I'll, I'll give him a hand. I understand. But then you feel like he's looking at you thinking, what are you, some kind of jerk taking my job? I understand. I'm just saying, Tintin seems like the kind of guy who should travel light. Like we've seen him in the past, he's mm-hmm. got one little suitcase. Yeah. That's all he needs. Well, the question here is, he crashed in a plane. Where did he get a steamer trunk from? Well, here's where he, he got it from, the Maharaja. Yeah. The Maharaja gave him all this stuff and probably gave him a bunch of nice clothes. Gave him pajamas. <laughs> That's right. Of course he, he did. He has many of them. Uh, so Tintin loses Snowy. Yes. That's a great sequence as well. Um, what's interesting about this book is that it has a very serious uh, subtext to it, but Hergé still is wise enough to realize that you have to sell a book through like this through its humor as well as through its its venture and you know so there's lots of scenes like this where snowy's missing everyone's running off to search wonderful running of course in, in all rj books and then we have the uh seek uh servant carrying the trunk on his back down the steps falls it's quite heavy by the way you can see the sweat beads like yeah. shooting off of him yeah that's right well you know why it's heavy it's got snowy in it he hands up at the bottom and then we find snowy in the trunk uh, as well as the ham radio. You can see a little bit of the ham radio there. He packed right. his ham radio. No one is heavy. Has a dog and a ham radio in a steamer trunk. And they drive off. So then... <laughs> right. They drive off in a car that could not hold that steamer trunk in it. It's in the trunk. Sure it is. The trunk is in the trunk. Okay, mm, so... Disagree, but okay. So you, you, you take over now. So we all have right. a... Some, so let, sometime uh, later... Okay. All right. Uh, we're in Shanghai. You can tell because Tintin says, so this is Shanghai. And uh, immediately when Tintin shows up anywhere, yeah. someone goes, there he is. Let's get him. <laughs> That is Tintin visits every country. Yes. Someone's waiting at the dock, you know. Yeah. You know, just holding a sign going murder. <laughs> anyway. So uh so he's chasing Tintin in a rickshaw. We're now seeing, you know, this is the way things are. I like the poster that's in the background for a light bulb. Yeah, the Chinese says Siemens Electric Electronics. Nice. And on the other sign, the green sign, it says possessing a field of a thousand qiing is no better than having is sorry, is is no better than having meager skills. Well, there you go. We've all learned something. Uh, so now we're going to go to the Continental Hotel, or the Continent Hotel. So you can see that Chang was having a little fun while he was writing the... Uh... Sure, throwing some jokes in yeah. the background. Why sure. not? Sure. What do, you, what, do you, what do you call that mad magazine? Turkey turkey fat? What do you call that? Chicken fat. Chicken fat. That's yeah. what you call it. A bunch of business in the background. So uh, Tintin's in his hotel room uh, reading uh, reading a letter saying, uh, uh, Michurito, Michurito, but how do we find him? It's certainly a Japanese name, but... Well, it's not Mitsu Hirato. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I'm all right. Uh, listen, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I am. I'm not going to get this right. I'm going to try, but I'm not going to. So I beg your kind forgiveness. It's uh, Mitsu Hirato, Mister Roboto. <laughs> is that Domo, right? Domo, Domo. Okay. So we've already ticked that box off. Good for us. 
All right, <laughs> so Tintin, Tintin, boo, boo. Yeah, well, all your sticks references, you know. <laughs> there we are. All right, so uh, Tintin gets a note. Uh, the note says, "Mr. Tintin, the news of your arrival fills me with joy. I cannot convey my happiness at the prospect of uh, of gazing upon your noble and virtuous uh, features. Oh, good for him. Uh, <laughs> may I humbly beg the privilege of calling upon you at three o'clock in the afternoon? Uh, your servant." Uh, will await your uh, gracious. Uh, my servant will await your gracious reply, and uh, that is uh, signed by the person whose name we just talked about a couple of seconds ago. So just Mr. you know, Mr. Roboto. Absolutely. Now on the next uh, next page, we got uh, Tintin uh, getting all looking snappy, and that means putting on a tie. Yes. The rest of the outfit stays the same. <laughs> this is the outfit he traveled all yeah. that distance on the boat. Yeah. Uh, I got to freshen up. Freshen it. Well, what's Tie. he got? What's he got? Other clothes in that enormous trunk? What's no. he going to put something else on? No, it's full of ham radio and dog. There's okay. no room for anything else. That's and right. a tartan blanket. Hopefully, it's a deodorant tie. And so uh, off he goes. And then we get a gorgeous scene uh, yes. of, uh, of Tintin uh, in a rickshaw uh, going down a street. It really is a beautiful scene. Yep. And uh, yeah. I'm sure. You can see Chang's influence. And you know, putting his knowledge of of the architecture. Like the look we of are, Shanghai. we are grounded right now. We know where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's going about their business, and and it's it's nice. Everyone's reaction. Everyone's having a casual day. Yeah. Everyone's just doing what they do. There's yeah. no stress. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, oh, but now stress occurs <laughs> as the the rickshaw driver. You know what? Nowadays, someone would be looking at their phone and walking into traffic yeah. and have an accident. Yeah. Back in those days, uh, newspaper. Newspaper is very and, dangerous. And yeah. wham, hits the uh, rickshaw driver. And we're talking about the ideograms, how in, in Land of the Soviets, it's just nonsense. In this case, the driver is actually saying in Chinese, he's saying, excuse me, sir, or sorry, sir. So he's actually saying something. That's meaningful. It's not just. It's just not just nonsense. Right, uh, but uh, the person who he hit seems to be a jerk, uh, <laughs> who says a "dirty little Chinaman" to yeah. barge into a white man. Well, here we go. What, like so, we've met our first out and out racist mm-hmm. in this. We and and we as the audience are not on his side. No, no, we're no. not. And that's that's good. I think that we have that we, you know, this is the first book, and I I know that Erge meant to do this with. Within America, meant us to be on the side of, of the Native Americans, and, and there were some there were some jabs in there, you yeah. know, about North American culture, oh, not mm-hmm. North American culture, but European culture, yeah, and you know, what they do. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, in this case, the guy's getting beaten by a cane. Yeah, uh, Tintin's having none of it. Grabs the cane, snaps it in two, calls him a brute. But it's interesting. Behind him, the sign reads "Down with Imperialism" mm-hmm. in Chinese. So I think so. Chang is commenting on the scene in a way. So as Tintin, you know, takes this you know, colonial colonialist bully and breaks his cane behind him. The sign is commenting on the scene. I think. Oh, nice. So it's kind of fun that. Well, here was something I was wondering when I was reading it. Uh, the, the, the guy's, you know, f- flipping out at uh, someone telling him he can't hit a person. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the way it is. But he's wearing gloves and they're weird gloves. The way they're, they're, uh, they're colored, they're green. Yeah. And, uh, they match I, his spats. Well, they match his spats. And maybe I'm misremembering, but seeing those gloves made me think of the, uh, the cultish garb in uh, Pharaoh. It's purple. Is it purple, purple yeah. gloves? Yeah. Well, then that's me being wrong. <laughs> I just thought, like, those are weird gloves. I wonder if he dresses up in a culty outfit as well. <laughs> so, yeah, jumping up and down. Your conduct is disgraceful, sir. Ooh, you'll hear more of me later. And I bet they will. <laughs> and Snowy's not having any of this either. Big barks no, for him. Oh, yeah, he barks at him. Yeah. So the yeah. guy is now going to uh, the... Uh, 
Tinder, or Snowy's more offended by his lime green gloves and spats. Sure. Clothes. Well, which is amazing. What a fashion faux pas. Pa. Right, right. But of course, the dog can't see color, so mm-hmm. that's surprising. Yeah. So he goes to the uh, Ox- Occidental Private Club? Yes. Okay. What's Occidental mean, David? I think that would be the Western world. Oh, very good. I didn't know yeah. that. Uh, and there he meets two other jerks. Uh, saying, ah, Gibbons, my friend, you look peeved, old chap. Oh, I'm so peeved, a guy just wouldn't let me hit a man on the street. What a world we're living in. Uh, and, uh, you yes. know, talks about their superb Western civilization uh, while smacking the waiter, who is also Asian, uh, <laughs> knocking all the stuff and uh, flipping out on him. Then right back to the table talking yes. about Western civilization being superb. So we are really on the side <laughs> of people in China right yeah. now. Yeah. So it's not just, I mean, there were complaints and there have been complaints that the Japanese, how they were portrayed in this book as the villains, etc. At the time, let's be fair, they were behaving villainously. Right. And... Hergé is also as he's also as uh, critical of the presence of Europeans there, you know, of the corruption of the international zone and and the corruption of the businesses and whatnot that went on in China at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he's not uh, forgiving Europeans and just and just you know coming down hard on the Japanese. Everyone's getting it right. Well, I think though, you know, when we grew up with cartoons from World War Two, if you're making fun of the Japanese, you put the big teeth in. Mm-hmm. And up until, let's say, the 80s, where Jerry Lewis is still doing a movie, you know, where he's making fun of uh, playing Japanese, he puts the glasses on and puts the teeth on. Those are your two go-tos for the Japanese stereotype. That is Japanese face. So I can see how people would be reading this and seeing the guy with the teeth and going, oh, it's that. But, you know, he's paying for the sins of what came later and the stereotypes of what came later. Maybe he established a stereotype in this in this story the way he drew them and people went oh that's a good shorthand way of yeah let's keep going with that yeah okay uh so uh the uh the 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 driver uh he appreciates uh what's been going on here a little setup for later maybe that will pay off later the (laughs) tintin did a good deed uh tintin goes in and uh and and meets this fella uh who uh is this now tell me his name again mitsu hirato right uh, he's saying, my dear Mr. Tintin, you must go back to India at once. The Maharaja is in great danger. I sent a Chinese messenger to tell you to guard the Maharaja. Did you see them? Uh, yeah, but he was struck by a poison dart. Fill in a man. Despicable creatures. Such persons stop at nothing. Believe me. Oh, he's so mad. He couldn't be even mad. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, after this saying, uh, Tintin, your life hangs in the balance by a thread. But how could he know this? Well, a true Japanese knows everything, honorable sir. I don't know if that's a stereotype seems or not. It, that doesn't seem like something anyone would say. That seems anyone. Yeah. yeah, that's not a stereotype. A true for, Scotsman knows the price of soup, sir. Right. But a true okay. Scots. Well, okay, but a, he would what? say a true Scotsman <laughs> knows everything. Yeah. It yeah. seems like an odd thing to... Uh, Right. To bring put self self gloss. Right. So good. Tintin goes for a wander. And I just want to say, when, before you go on, uh, there's in the... Uh, if you look at the... Um, where Mitsuharato is standing on the... the, on the top tier in the, fi- in the final panel fourth panel I guess or third panel there's a sign there and it says no trespassing so I just like that idea that there's a Japanese person standing there in China and the sign behind him says no trespassing alright there's a lot of zingers in here it's good to know <laughs> So Tintin goes for a wander into the bad, bad part of town mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and Snowy is inclined to, to agree and, uh, and uh, they seem to be right because uh, a Chinese man is now running after them and I assume this is where a cliffhanger would be uh, he ta- he tackles him, and you think uh, Tintin's in a bit of trouble, yes. but no, no, I would, no. I'd say that's for sure a uh, a uh, cliffhanger part. Yeah. Uh, he uh, tackles Tintin and saves him from being shot uh, by a drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. 
And then if we look at the telephone pole, the car is driving away on the telephone pole, it says boycott Japanese goods. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I, do you have all of these down? No, but just a few. I just thought these were interesting, these ones, because they, they're kind of commenting in a, diff, you know, in a kind of a subtextual level that we can't get, obviously. Right. But someone in China reading this is going to be chuckling at these little, uh, these little um, bombos that Chang was dropping in. So Tintin's a bit... A lot of them are just, you know, like this green sign there says post no bills, like whatever. I mean, those are just kind of things you'd see anywhere in, you know, a street scene. And and in the grocery store, there's... They actually say things. They just say what the goods are for sale. Oh, okay. There are goods for sale. Like those, you know, so he's just setting... There's some scene setting stuff, but there's also some interesting uh, kind of commentary and stuff like that. I forgot to mention on, on the page before, on page eight in the bottom tier, there's a red sign that Tintin's passing by and it says, what good is it... When one is talented, but ill. Oh. So a little Chinese aphorism, I assume, that... Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, you know, and that you could can... be a comment on what's going to happen to the, to the character who is, is uh, uh, going to tackle Tintin. That is true if as well. it's foreshadowing, we don't know. So uh, Tintin is, uh, is, uh, realizes that guy probably was trying to save his life, goes back to his hotel room uh, to get a little tea, and uh, Snowy, ever the whiner, is complaining <laughs> that there's no tea for him. What about a cup of tea for old Snowy? Well, it's time for a cliffhanger again. There's someone at the window, and they're shooting a gun. We'll see you next week, kids. Is Tintin dead? Yes. No, he's not Oh, he's dead. not. Oh, okay. No, because we got a lot more book to go. Uh, but the the guy seems to be a bad shot because he shoots the teacup. And mm-hmm. uh, and poor, tin, poor Snowy gets the saucer in the face. Yes. Poor little Snowy. Poor guy. Now, uh, now Tintin, in a move that, uh, frankly, will be bad later on when we learn what's going on, tries to shoot the guy with a gun. <laughs> so uh, he's shooting at uh, his uh, his assailant uh, from the window, uh, yeah. tries to chase him down, uh, but uh, runs into a, a, a turban gentleman and a, a policeman, a policeman uh, and uh, knocks, him, uh, knocks him down. I wasn't sure if it was a guard or a policeman. Uh, and, uh, and says, uh, hope, uh, that whistle, I suppose the whistle was being blown by the guy, doesn't bring reinforcements. Well, this is weird. I don't see him whistling. Oh, it does whistle yeah, right above. A There's wheat. a sound yeah, effect. A and, uh, yes, it brings reinforcements. Wrong you are, uh, Tintin, and you <laughs> are caught. Because it wouldn't be a Tintin story if he wasn't thrown into prison. It happens a lot. This guy has a rap sheet as long as your arm. <laughs> yes. If you're Mr. Fantastic. No wonder he's just thrown right into prison as soon as he gets arrested. Yeah, let's see. Has he ever been arrested before? Yes, constantly. But, of course, in this instance, there's Gibbon's friend, a fellow you know, Englishman living in the international zone, who is working with Gibbon, says, we've got Tintin. We're just thrown right in jail. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of this guy. And then there's an interesting sequence here. Now, in the original black and white version, uh, Tintin is, there's three Scotsmen. That come in to beat up Tintin. Oh, which is kind of weird. Where they come from? Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird. Is this? It's just sort of like in the Soviet story where uh, Chinese people are the torturers because they're the good torturers. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, if you want some thugs some beat up, to yeah. beat you up, you know, you want you, three Scotsmen. Yeah, three Glaswegians to come out and beat right. Some okay. Of them. Yeah, some guys from they the just Gorbals. have them on uh, on staff. Yeah, yeah. But this is more realistic. He's in this version uh, when it was redrawn for color in in forty six. Erge changed them to Sikh uh, policemen. Which is it's really accurate because Sikhs tended to go where the British went and often were policemen in various dif- in different places, whether it was in Malaysia or, Bur- or Burma as it was, Burma or in Africa. Wherever, wherever the British went, you would have uh, various groups would follow them and, and do things that they did. So you'd have Sikhs who would often be in the military or in the police force. You'd have Tamils who would have jobs in the bureaucracy. You would have Chinese people who would open store, you know, be right. grocers and stuff like that. 
they all, they kind of went because they knew the British would stabilize the area and create a commercial zone, and so people would just go where they were. And so this is more realistic than Scotsman, which is kind of inexplicable in a way. Yeah, that is weird. And so of course these guys are big burly fellows going uh, in to give uh, Tintin a beating. So he kind of it's one of those interesting changes. You've got you know Tintin sitting there in nineteen it's in uh, nineteen thirty four, and then you jump to nineteen forty six with uh, with the uh, uh, the guy I can't remember his name now talking to um, the, the the Sikhs saying you know oh, there's a guy in here who uh, could do, use a little correction a little corrective treatment so they go in there rolling up their sleeves there's a lot of they've done this before and then the classic this is standard procedure and classic Hergé who knew that it's way more effective to show these sort of things off screen than on screen uh, just has a lot of thumping and banging and zinging going on and then we see the Sikhs in the hospital because Tintin is one tough dude. Well, yeah, I mean, they play it as a joke as well. And you think Tintin's getting the beating. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, oh, we need an ambulance. Oh, boy. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Should we see the ambulance? We yeah. follow the ambulance and then, yeah. ba-doom. Yeah, these three are, uh, yeah, they're pretty They're pretty badly beaten. So, yes. uh, you know, uh, Tintin, not a scratch on him, <laughs> strutting down the street after strutting that. Strutting down the street after that. Still wearing his tie. Right. He's still dressed up. And again, it's a child's fantasy book, right? Yes. So you think if three guys came into your cell, you'd be able to beat them up, right? Of course you would. Yeah. And anything that you as a kid could do, Tintin can do. So, yes. It is a child's fantasy. It's starting to blend a little bit. It's starting to move into a, a zone where adults can read it and children can read it and mm-hmm. appreciate it, you know? But, um, uh, you know, yeah. again, it's uh, you, you look at your Indiana Jones, and Indiana Jones, if he's hit in the first act, does not yeah. wear a bandage through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. He heals fast. Yeah. He heals Tintin fast. Yeah. So, and actually, it's very similar to, uh, like, say, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was based on the old serials, yeah. which had so many cliffhangers in a row. It actually mm-hmm. feels like more modern pacing, yeah. because so much of modern movies is kind of based on Raiders of the Lost Ark and that amount of action cliffhangers. Yeah. Yeah. So when you read it, it feels it does feel very modern. That's an interesting point. So the format of serials or the format of Raiders has almost modernized Tintin for us. If we read it... If we read it in the 70s, it wouldn't, we would feel different, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, a 70s movie, you're waiting uh, in bullet for the car thing at the yeah, very end. Yeah. You know, might have the action scene way later, later, later. Yeah. But this this would move at a breakneck pace that they'd go slow down. Well, that was always inexplicable to me as as a talking to people who, you know, there's people you'll talk to and they're like, oh, I don't like Tintin. I'm an asterisk person. Mm-hmm. You know, That'd be me. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah. Talk to me. But it seems <laughs> weird that... Because these books are very advent, very full of breakneck pace, right. lots of action, lots of th- funny things happening, and it just seems, feels weird that that goes over people's heads. Well, and again, I don't know how Asterix was originally published. Was Asterix always uh, done what, as one full story? No, no. Was it also uh, yeah. cliffhangering? It was in pilot. I yeah. found I found when I read Asterix, it was an easier uh, go because it felt like the entire story was leading somewhere, built and then climaxed and then wrapped up. Yeah. Whereas I felt when I read Tintin. Uh, maybe it is the cliffhangers in that you can jump off at any point. There's nothing really once you've once you fulfilled the cliffhanger. There's nothing really to keep you turning the pages. At least back in the day, yeah, for me. Uh, so it it the pacing actually kind of threw me off probably where it didn't seem like one long story. It seemed like a bunch of action sequences that were all put in a row. And and I wonder if you, as a reader of Western comics, if you appreciated the kind of the situation of Asterix where you had the village with a lot of characters. And with stories that kind of carried on, carried over into other books and stuff like that. Whereas Tintin, a lot of it is often very episodic and it doesn't carry on into the next right. book. You don't There's have also a, a power fantasy with, with Asterix, mm-hmm. which is here's the oppressors, you beat them up. Here's the oppressors, you beat them up. Whereas Tintin gets beat up as much as he gets not beat up. He's, That's interesting. He's, he's messed about. Yeah. So uh, Tintin's uh, strutting on back to the hotel. 
But that's uh, why I like Tintin more, is that it's more realistic to oh, me. Oh, it's not a contest. I know it's not a contest, but I'm just saying, yeah. I, you know, as a kid, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate them both. I love them both. I love the art and Asterix and the writing. Uh, but, you know, I'd always kind of tend towards Tintin more. And I think, to me, they had that element of reality that he's not perfect, you know, and he doesn't, and there's no magic potion for him to take to get out of a situation. He has to use his brains and or luck, incredible luck in most cases to get out of this Well, situation. I'm going to get a little Scott McCloud here real fast. Uh, but, you know, they say that uh, the more stylized a character is, the more you can project yourself into mm-hmm. it. So, say, a, a Charlie Brown you can relate to because it's a simple uh, looking character. And you go, oh, I see myself in that. It's the yeah. happy face. It's, you know, you can project yourself. Whereas I think the Tintin characters being more realistic maybe gave you more distance. You're watching someone do something where you're not projecting yourself into Tintin. Maybe some people are. Uh, whereas Asterix is so much more stylized and cartoony that maybe I could relate more to it. And uh, and the defenses are dropped and you get more into the story because, ah, oh, it's just a big cartoon slappity-bappity-bappity. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, something like that beautiful scene in China would slow you down a little bit. And but now, it's, it's kind of meant to, though. It's meant to... Mm-hmm. It's a more mature comic, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And maybe that was uh, not what I was in the mood for as, yeah. a, as a young man. Uh, later on, I'm, I'm going to talk about a sequence that I really like, so we can talk about pacing in a little bit. Sounds so. good. Okay. All right, so Tintin gets back to his hotel room and uh, has a telegram uh, saying, Mr. Tintin, come uh, tonight at 10 o'clock to the street uh, called uh, Tai Ping uh, Lu. Uh, there will be a lantern outside the door. Uh, wear the clothes you will find in the parcel. It will be easier for you to... We do not see the rest of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Tintin, now he's getting more clothes. Ugh, uh, that trunk is just going to be full to busting. <laughs> all right, all very mysterious. And then, now this is actually a little bit... Oh, no. Uh, it walks into his hotel room and Snowy is on the floor. Dead? Yeah. Is he? Well, what's weird is... <laughs> What's weird is that it's not a cliffhanger moment. I guess no. maybe it was in the original. I don't think it is version. You know, but Tintin is. Uh, but but Snowy is very sick. He was drinking the tea on the floor, and uh, he was poisoned. Then T- Tintin realizes, oh, the person yeah. uh, was sh- shooting the tea out of my hand. Now, there's a couple of ways you could go about doing that. Maybe just yell, "Don't drink the tea; it's poison," instead of taking out a gun, shooting the teacup, which then means Tintin will chase after you with a gun and maybe kill you. And, you know, the person who was trying to save his life. But, you know, you pick your methods. Also, <laughs> when you shoot it with a gun, then the tea lands on the floor and then Snowy drinks it. So, nice job, guy with a gun. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so uh, Tintin puts Snowy to bed, tucks him in. He's got a little bit of a fever. Poor thing. Uh, Tintin dresses up as a Chinese man, saying, uh, you sleep it off, uh, Snowy, old fellow, and don't worry if I'm late back. Off he goes. Oh, I nice. Hope, I hope Snowy's okay. Well, who wouldn't be? He's been tucked into a little dog-sized bed. It is kind but of somehow little... the hotel had a dog-sized bed in it. <laughs> you don't see it very often anymore. Maybe that was something that in China. Oh, I think Tintin could fit in that. Maybe bed. Hergé is playing against that that stereotype that the Chinese ate dogs. Now he's like saying, "No, no, they love dogs. They have bed. They have room like beds in." Yeah, hotel you never play that eating dog stereotype in here at all. No, good. Uh, so uh, t- uh, Tintin's looking for the street. Gets some instructions. Uh, yeah, not... once again, actual. Realistic Chinese actually saying something. Not quite sure if t- if t- that helps Tintin or not. Yeah, because he, he doesn't speak Chinese. Well, maybe he does. But he can we follow a finger pointing. Sure can. Uh, and the and the other guy can speak English. Yeah. And what's interesting? Yeah, that's interesting. Or, or French. The other thing is. Oh, French. You're absolutely right. The other interesting thing is that uh, in this book we finally have that kind of that thing where people are speaking their own language. Mm-hmm. Or speaking to to Tintin in his language. There's not that sense where there's no 
other language but the language that Tintin speaks. Well, you could always go with the gimmick that, you know, Tintin is speaking Chinese. Has a babble fish in his ear. That's right. Well, yeah, all of a sudden it's Star Trek. But, you know, you can go with that. Hitchhiker's Guide? Sure, sure. I know. But both both do the same thing. We could also go Doctor Who if you want to do that. Everyone's got their magic device that makes you be able to talk to everybody, (laughs) right? So uh, you could just go with the idea that Tintin is speaking Chinese, so we've translated everything. You know, just go with that conceit. Yeah. Uh, But nope, they're not doing that, so good for them. Uh, Tintin uh, walks in and sees a, a gentleman, Chinese gentleman, who is uh, sitting there and not talking, trying to get his attention over and over again. No He's, dice. First, you think he sits upset because they're both wearing the same clothes. <laughs> yeah. What a faux pas. Sure. Well, luckily, Snowy's not there to see it. If they're not wearing the same clothes, exactly. Uh, Tintin's uh, goes more down the down the middle. It looks like, and the other oh, guys, yeah, that's yeah, true. Tucks more off to the side. That's true. So it's fine. You're right. Uh, he doesn't quite understand what's going on with this guy. I'm a little worried the guy's dead. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but once Tintin walks walks aside, uh, what well, there he is, uh, saying, uh, "Don't go. I want to tell you something. You know, he's found uh, found a way, and you're gonna find it uh, too. I'm gonna cut your head off, and then you'll know the truth." Yes. Right. Well, here's the thing: when a guy has gone crazy, don't give him a sword. This is a good tip. <laughs> I think it's a good idea to lock him in a room. I uh, keep yeah. him alone, but uh, giving him that sword, no good. Uh, look, you don't need to be afraid. I only have to cut your head off. Uh, Tintin gets that he's mad uh, and, uh, and and finds a way to beat the guy using a simple table. Jumping on one end of the table, smashing the guy in the chin with it. Pretty good way to beat a guy. Yeah. I've never seen that in a movie. Yeah. Seems like that would actually work. Good job. Just want to go back just a little bit because we mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned, did you mention that he got a telegram as well as the letter? Because he got the, le- the note asking oh, him to I come Oh, I thought meet. it was, okay, I didn't get And then he also got a telegram from the Maharaja requesting ah, that he come back to India. Very good. I did miss out on that. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, so he takes the fellow out to the police, saying, Officer, I found this poor madman. Will you take care of him? And unlike many times when Tintin deals with the police, the police do not arrest Tintin, which is normally what happens. Yeah. One of the messages of Tintin is, do not trust the police. <laughs> they are uh, they are well-meaning incompetence. Yes. So uh, it's, a, it's a Chinese policeman, though. So they are the sympathetic characters. Right. So Tintin runs in uh, the next day to uh, Mr. Uh, Mitzer... Hito? Oh, boy. Folks, I'm trying my best. Uh, and he says, I heard you were leaving. I came to say goodbye. I wish you a calm and peaceful journey. Thank you. My good wishes to you, too. And uh, Tintin's a little disappointed, saying he hasn't learned much in Shanghai. And uh, off the boat goes. And that is the end of this issue of... Wait, no. Nope. <laughs> there seem to be some more pages. Let's see what happens. Uh, it's nighttime. Tintin's going for a walk. Snowy's better. you got to say, one thing about this this book is that Erge is not afraid to go to go black. Like he's not afraid to have lots of nighttime scenes. Yep. And lots of obscure things happening in the dark. By the way, I don't know if I if it's only me noticing it for the first time, mm-hmm. but boy, people have red cheeks in these books. They always have, yeah. Has it always been the case? Yeah. Especially in this one. It was just like everyone looks like they've just been uh, spending some time with their grandmother who's given them all cheek pinches right this, before you go. This goes. book was colored by Ed, Ed E.P. Jacobs, uh, who had who Love Hergé Rouge. hired. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and he was a yeah, he I guess he really liked that that having the cheeks. I mean it's always that it's always that way in all in all the Tintin books. It makes but, Tintin look very young. Yeah. And it may have it may have been toned down a little bit in later ones, but they still have that apple cheek. Yeah. All the everyone. So uh so Tintin and Snowy, it's nighttime, they're taking a walk around the deck and he's like, All right, you know, Snowy is reluctantly doing this as Snowy will. And uh, and uh, it looks like a lasso's come down, and it just scoops up uh, Tintin. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, pulled into a lifeboat and chloroformed. Uh, S- uh, Snowy realizes Tintin is missing. 
And then, uh, you know, tosses out, someone tosses out the chloroform handkerchief. Yeah. Uh, Snowy gives it a sniff, gets a little, uh, you know, gets a little curious George wonked. And, uh, and he is then pulled up as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, one thing I like on this page, of course, is the, I just love when Erge does the, bu- the bubble with, uh, pictures in it. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, pictures worth a thousand words. So all you have to do is just have him thinking of Tintin. He doesn't have to say, where's Tintin? Or I miss Tintin. You just have a picture of Tintin. You know exactly what Snowy's thinking. Yep. Agreed. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, now it looks like Tintin's in, in, in a box. He's transported somewhere mysterious. And the next morning he wakes up in what looks like a little fancy bed. Yeah. You know, a uh, very, uh, uh, very Chinese looking bed. Uh, what do you make of it, Snowy? He says as he's waking up last night sailing to Bombay. This morning here in this room, taking it in stride is what Tintin's doing. Yeah. You know, being uh, knocked out and uh, probably had a beating a little bit, you know, before the chloroform. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's taking this in stride. Uh, but uh, he's doing a walk around to see what's going on and unfortunately runs into that madman again with a sword. Who has taken the time to change his clothes? Yeah, that's nice. He looks nicer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but his father shows up. It turns out the madman's name is Dee Dee. I'm sorry to call him the madman. You know, that, let's call him Dee Dee because now we know. Uh, his dad shows up, tells him uh, to stop it and to leave them. And now him and uh, Tintin have a have a chat. So, yeah, this is where Tintin discovers that Dee Dee was acting as a secret, his uh, kind of a guardian angel. That he was the one who tackled him and prevented him from being shot at from the car and shot the teacup out of his hand, which seems like an excessive way to stop someone from drinking poison tea. Yeah. Now, now it was DD uh, crazy while this was. No, no. So this happened afterwards. Yes. So while he was, you know, he, he uh, arranged to meet Tintin and then sometime between him writing to Tintin to come meet him at, at this address and Tintin arriving, he was poisoned Mm -hmm. and went mad. So. So Tintin came there, he found, rather than the protector that was helping before, now he's gone insane. Well, we've got a bit of an exposition dump here, so why don't you cover this, because you understand <laughs> it better than I do. <laughs> I understand it better than you do? I think so. You've read this book a couple of times. Uh, oops. You can tell, because all the pages just fell out of my book. That's right. Onto the floor. Uh, yeah, so, well, it's pretty... pretty. I basically explained it. So he did, sorry, sorry for the violent kidnapping. So what he explains to Tintin is that Tintin was received a, a fake telegram requesting that he return to India. And that it was sent by the uh, Japanese who, well, I guess he doesn't really say that yet. He just says, you have, you know, you're kind of, people didn't want you to stay any longer here. So they, you know, tricked you into leaving. But we need you to, to stay because uh, they need his help. And so that explains to him all about uh, the fact that they are kind of a secret society, which is why Didi was was acting in a secret manner. Right. Called the Sons of the Dragon. Sons of the Dragon. Yes. Cool name. Better if it would be the Sons of the Sneaky Dragon, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and now there are... A, you know, a group dedicated to fighting the opium trade in China. And so, just like the Maharaja, they are also fighting against the opium trade. And so, someone is, uh, you know, obviously people are, and we're kind of heading back towards cigars of this pharaoh territory here, where opium is kind of a, becomes not a central part of the story again, just like it, it wasn't in Cigars of the Pharaoh. It's sort of this uh, what Hitchcock, I guess, would have called a MacGuffin, mm-hmm. where it's something that drives the plot, but isn't necessarily key to what right. the plot is about. Uh, what's so, more, sorry. So I was go please go ahead. I was going to say what's more interesting than that plot is the fact that that Didi wants to show the way to Snowy and ties him up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, now we're back to some uh, comedy slash. Yeah. yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, so he's tying up Snowy. He's going to cut his head off and yep. uh, show him the truth. And then we have a weird cut to uh, Mitsuharato, who's sitting in his office. And he has on a wall uh, a list of shipments that all contain opium. 
Yeah. So you think if you're part of a you know secret opium trade, you wouldn't want it written on your wall that that's what you're doing. But well, here's... he's got it there. It's going to uh, Marseille, to Antwerp, to Le Havre, to Rotterdam, <laughs> right. Hamburg. Here's the bigger problem Luxembourg. with that. Luxembourg. It's. Uh... <laughs> He's got he he's got you know ship cargo oh, Liverpool and, sorry Liverpool oh nice one well there yeah uh, so he's Liverpool. got the yeah he's got ship cargo and uh, destination now the shipping is always from a different place the destination is the, a different place but it's always opium yeah. you don't need to write opium every no, time that is a waste of space on your wall they first of all put the, a little the dot yeah the police come in immediately go hey opium <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like if you wrote down crime every time you did a crime in a book. It's just like we know you're criminal. You're just doing crime all the time. Don't worry about it. We get it. It's op- you're in the opium trade. We get it. All right. So of course, uh, Mitsuhiro thinks that he's gotten rid of Tintin. Tintin's he saw Tintin. He saw him off on the boat, and so he believes he's gone. Yeah. And meanwhile, Tintin has not gone. That uh, <laughs> they discover that Snowy is about to uh, get a snout chopped off. So they they're able to stop Didi again. Merely by telling him not to do something. Yeah. So he's a very benign lunatic, you know. So he wants to cut off your head, but if you say not to, he won't. Well, here's the thing, guys. It's nice to be a thoughtful lunatic. All right, here's the more thoughtful thing. Take his sword away! You know, if the guy keeps trying to shoot people, you take away the gun, right? If a guy keeps trying to cut off heads, take away your kid's sword. Sure. Give him a rubber sword. Give him a stick, you know? Think about it, Dad. In your secret society. So we have another we have another giant ex ex. uh, Yep, here it comes. What do you call it? What do you call it? An ex Uh, uh, exposition dump. Exposition dump. Yeah, Yeah. I can't. I can say Mitsuharato, but yeah, there's a shipment. There's the cargo, and the cargo is exposition, and the destination (laughs) is this page. This page, and so we get a long explanation of how uh, Mitsuharato tried to stop him from coming to China, uh, and now. And maybe this is gone. Maybe this is what uh, maybe this is what lost me as a kid. Is these big? Uh, yeah, could be. But plot dumps. But there are big plot dumps in in, in superhero comics as well. I think. True, but they don't really matter because it just gets to smack around time. Yeah, you know, I guess so. Much. You kind of ignore them if you want to. Yeah. And so uh, now we now we find out that Tintin, being a smart fellow, has broken the code. So we, at the beginning of the book, he was he intercepted a message on his ham radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was um, this pure nonsense. But now he's discovered that if you take the first two letters of each word, uh, it will spell out something. So now he has a message that said Blizzard, Ueda, Location Tuesday, Storm and Traps, Top Nine, Gurkhas and Tea. And it spells out Blue Lotus Tonight. And so we know that, or Blue, sorry, Blue Lotus 10 Tonight. So, of course, to Tintin doesn't make much sense, but, but to uh, Wang, the, the gentleman who is the sort of leader of the Sons of the Dragon, he says, oh, no, the Blue Lotus is an opium den. It's a shady, you know, it's kind of yeah. this shady place. What's interesting is actually there is no such a flower as the Blue Lotus. Oh, okay. It doesn't exist. In 1932, a movie called Shanghai Express came out. Uh, and so it's very likely that Hergé saw this film because it would have been interesting to him. It was directed by Joseph von Sternberg and starred Marlena Dietrich, his, uh, his always star. And so, and in that movie, there's a scene where this uh, guy who's... Um, Someone hostage gets his message by telegram, and it says, "Blue Lotus lost must have red blossoms midnight." Hmm. So it's possible that Erge saw that in the film, and that kind of stuck in his mind as an interesting idea. Because originally, kind of like uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh, when it was being run in in uh, Le Petit Vingtième, it was just called Tintin's Adventures in the Orient, you know. And so it had no, it didn't have, it had sort of a generic title. It wasn't until it was published by Casterman as a book. 
that they needed to change the title. And Hergé kind of came out of the blue with the Blue Lotus. Mm-hmm. And he liked it because it was kind of mysterious. Yeah, it's a good title. Yeah, it yeah. is a good title. Now, uh, I like I like them cracking a code because that feels like a fun thing for uh, kids reading it to do. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, if a, a, another weird letter comes up, uh, why don't you try and uh, yeah. crack the code themselves? That's right. Yeah, That's nice. Right. Uh, that uh, bears repeat reading. Good for, good for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, they go to the opium den. And, uh, boy, these places always look great. They do. You know, when you think like of a modern day, like we're going to go to the crack house and do some crack, you yeah. don't think, hey, nice. Yeah. But when they opium den, it's always like, oh, it's really, in movies, it's always really, really nice. It's okay. I think it actually looks better here than it does in movies. Most movies, they look it looks kind of more shabby than it does. Does it? There's usually, yeah. to me, like a pretty girl in a beautiful dress, and she leads you through a curtain, mm-hmm. and then you go there, and there's a bunch of beds, and they're usually the silk yeah. beds, and you go in the silk beds, you lie down, and you do your opium. Oh, boy, I could go for some opium yeah. right now, Dave. I can't <laughs> I can't deny it. Well, I'm sure there's opium dens here if you want to. No, nah, uh, I'm fine. Thanks. Okay. I'm good. So uh, Tintin uh, goes and uh, does a bunch of opium and then doesn't care about the rest of the adventure. The end. <laughs> I think he's pretending. To All right, let's hope opium. that let's hope that Tintin is is pretending. Uh, so uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's uh, undercover there, uh, waiting for uh, Mister uh, Mitsu Hirato. Thank you so much to arrive. He does. Uh, he's told someone is waiting for him, and then Tintin follows him. Yes. Yeah. Listens at the curtain. Yeah. Which is why you should never have just have a meeting in, a secret meeting in a room with curtains. It seems like a good place to have a meeting though, an opium den, because one, everyone won't care. Yeah, you know. So there you go. And if they do care, you go like, "Hey, where'd you? How'd you hear that information?" Well, I was doing opium. All oh, right, I can't tell you that. <laughs> and even if you do believe them, you go like, "Yeah, but you were doing opiums. You could have been hearing anything." I don't think they were actually illegal. Opium, opium, opium wasn't illegal. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. So why are they trying to put it? Why are the sons uh, trying well, to put a stop to it? Because it's not what's happening in China that that where the opium is not going into China necessarily. But the reason that you would try and stop it is because, as the Maharaja explained in, in regards to the Pharaoh, it's more damaging to the people who are forced to to grow the opium. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have farmers who are forced to by the drug dealers, by the smugglers, to grow the opium, so they cannot grow the food. They're just growing this cash crop. Right. And then, you know, when it comes time to feed themselves, they have to buy food from the drug right, dealers exactly. at, at, at an inflated amount. So they're selling their drugs at a low cost or selling the opium at a low cost. And then they're buying their food at a high, a high cost. And it's just this unfair slavery that eventually kind of happens, kind of like coffee trade. Yeah, if if Tintin was being written today, it would be about mm-hmm. uh, uh, it would be about coffee shops. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, the the would be in a coffee shop pretending to write a screenplay. That's right. Going to spy on the uh, Mitsuhirachi. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a there's a goon in there, uh, and he's told here are five thousand dollars in advance. You get the same again when the job is done. But just remember, if you talk, you die. Yes. You understand? Good. Now here we and go. How will he know if he talks? He's Japanese. Yeah, he knows everything. They know everything. Yeah. Well, they don't know that Tintin's listening at the door. So that's that stereotype <laughs> out the window. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I think he was bragging more than... Uh, now, the two of them are going off in a car, and uh, Tintin is uh, hopped onto the classic, spare wheel. The classic hang onto the spare wheel in the back of the it's car. It's a nicely drawn car. It's a nicely drawn action sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get off. Uh, Tintin also gets, gets off quietly, saying, careful, we've arrived, saying that to himself, but it's okay, because... It's kind of like a thought balloon. Yeah. Uh, then, then to work, and uh, and uh, Tintin's cold. He's complaining. If Snowy was there, he'd be complaining too. But he, but he's not. And then there's yeah. a huge explosion, and uh, they've blown up some railroad tracks. 
Oh my gosh. Then he uh, phones in uh, the uh, Chen Fu station. Chinese bandits have uh, just blown the track at post 123. Uh, yeah. They did not. That's a lie. <laughs> yes. So this is, uh, this is basically a recreation of, of the, the incident that sparked the Japanese invasion of Manchuria. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So the, Ch- the Japanese blew up the tracks themselves, then blamed it on the Chinese in order to create uh, a situation where they would have to come in to restore order. And so you see, no one's injured. The tracks, it's a very minor bit of damage to the tracks, but in a scene that's very reminiscent of the, the uh, Native Americans being driven off their land at the discovery of oil, mm-hmm. this sequence moves at a breakneck pace from the explosion, Tintin sneezing, getting captured, to the revelation that the track's been blown up, the Japanese exaggerating the story, and then we have, you know, uh, shot or drawings of the telegraph wires, you know, sending all this information, and then, you know, people at listening to on their radios saying, well, of course the Japanese must move in. You know, this is the only thing they can do. What barbarity, killing all these people. Yeah. And so then we have a scene of the army mobilizing, ship okay, sailing. Okay, before we do that, uh, Tintin has been spying on all this. Yeah, I mentioned and, that. And sneezes? Yeah. Did you mention that? Mm-hmm. How the heck did I miss that? I was kind of rushing through it because the scene rushes through it. All right. You know, because RJ wants... I'm sorry, folks, if you were listening to that and I... Uh, That's I was, okay. I was reading ahead. RJ wants this to happen at a, at a you know, super speed. He wants you to get the sense of of how... As you say, breakneck, and Tintin almost breaks his neck. That's how breakneck <laughs> this is. It's just uh, how fast this happens, you know, just... You know, obviously, it would have taken uh, weeks, if not a month or more, to to mobilize an army, send battleships to China, yeah. you know, land the troops, organize all this but stuff. But how it's presented is mm-hmm. in much smaller panels than normal. Yeah. So it's just clicking yeah, along. It clicks along, and, uh, really, exactly. really, and by the way, well, this is a good uh, use of, uh, of as you say, pacing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the smaller panels yeah. uh, really move the story along, so you, you know? Yeah, you have, you have a series of talking panels that give you a sense of what's happening, and then a series of wordless panels that really move to show you the mili- the build up of military it's it's really really well done and then we have a scene of the japanese protesting in the league of nations and they would eventually quit the league of nations not 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 right away they actually stayed a member of the league of nations which we all know is pretty ineffective right uh but eventually uh you know under pressure from from uh european nations western nations to move out of china they 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 quit in, in disgust. And this is one of the only places, again, in this one that we get the kind of black stereotype faces there in the League of Nations where you go, oh, okay, uh, hopefully less of those in the future. But there they are, and that's where they are. <laughs> so uh, Tintin is uh, in the back of a car uh, being told, uh, didn't, I, didn't I warn you? Uh, China is an unhealthy place for nosy parkers. Yeah. That old Japanese expression, you're a real nosy parker. <laughs> So uh, we're going back to... Now, what was this fellow's name again? It was Dee Dee's dad, uh, Wang. Wang. Yeah. There we go. I'm getting confused because there's a character called Chang that comes in later on. Yes. So uh, Wang is worried. He's thinking Tintin should have been back long ago. And uh, where in the world could he be, says Snowy. He's, he's, he's a little bit worried. Yeah. And they're right to be worried as we cut to Tintin tied up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah asking, you brought me here, you locked me in. Yeah, you know, what will they do next? Oh, do you mind if I go back just for a second? You can go all the way back to the beginning of this uh, story if you'd like. I was just think I just forgot to mention on page seventeen when uh, Tintin is talking to to Wang. If you look down on the bottom on on the the second the second panel, mm-hmm. Tintin's tie mysteriously turns black. I just noticed that when I was reading it through. Uh, oh, the other day. So, uh, so you're thinking that is an omen, it's a symbolic of, uh, of something, of, yeah. uh, something symbolic, or someone is colored in black. And yeah, but that's probably it. what's happened. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So our villain, uh, Mister, you know. Meanwhile, back to the villain, Mister Matsurato is threatening 
is threatening. It feels like uh, you're showing off with Tintin. his name at this point. And uh, he goes off to get the Rajaja juice, or what are we supposed to call it? The madness juice? Yeah. Madness juice. Madness juice. It brings it back and knits it. This and is you curtains. can tell it's bad because it's got a little skull and crossbones on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really being old villainy with this. He's enjoying it. He's yeah. enjoying tormenting him. Yeah. Uh, gets out the old needle. Uh, gives him the old s- stab with the needle. And, uh, yep, unfortunately, Tintin has gone crazy. Yes. Singing a song, Each Peach Pear Plum, In Comes Tom Thumb. Which must have been a song at the time. Yeah, it must have been a children's nonsense thing that yep. kid said. Then he thinks he's a, then he starts pretending he's a chicken. And uh. he's. He goes out singing yippee 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 or something. And happy and days are here again. He's dancing down the street. Do you know what? It's not a bad way to stage a musical. It's just give everyone the madness <laughs> juice and just let them perform. It would certainly be one chaotic musical, though. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and then somehow it's revealed that Tintin was is faking it. Oh, good. I'm glad to that hear he that. Didn't, he wasn't insane. That he was just carrying on and uh, had the had the presence of mind that when he was given the juice and it didn't work to pretend that it worked. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very smart. And then, but like, and then Hirato discovers that, or Mitsu Hirato, sorry, discovers that, uh, that the, uh, juice had been doctored and he goes chasing after Tintin with a gun, not with just a gun, a gun and a knife. Yeah. He's double mad. He's double mad. He's running out. He goes to fire at Tintin. No bullets. He says, I swear I loaded this gun, but he has his knife. Everything's okay. He runs it. Tintin stabbing him, and the the uh, knife is rubber. And and Tintin hits him so hard it makes his clothes explode. Yes, <laughs> he leaves him a tattered mess. Yeah, one punch it looks like, and everything goes flying. He's basically Charlie Brown being hit with the baseball. <laughs> there he goes. Uh, but an hour later, took him an hour to get to the police on this, yeah. uh, saying, uh, "Oh, to a major, I'm uh, Japanese. I've been half murdered by young uh, European, a Chinese spy. His name is Tintin." Yeah, I like why how, it took him an hour. I just like that Tintin gets in a fight, you know, almost gets, you know, uh, poisoned by the madness juice. Yeah. Is able to fake his way out, avoids getting, you know, nearly misses getting shot, then stabbed, but has a fight with the guy. Yeah. You know, and then a little bit later, he's sitting in a restaurant drinking some soup. Or tea, yeah. One, one, or one, tea, one. yeah, maybe it's tea. Yeah. One of either. But yeah, he took a little break. It but seems, basically, here's the thing. Wouldn't you want to get away? Not only that, he's taken an hour to have this drink. Yeah. Yeah, like he's taking a he's long time, and finally him. goes like he said. Here's how long it took him to have this drink. They had posters printed up in the time it took him to have this drink. Like, because it it goes like this: it goes punch the guy in the face. An hour later, he's reporting it. He's still quite injured. Uh, we cut to Tintin drinking his tea. Now I'm going to go back to see Mr. Wang. So we need some time from the uh, past the hour point. Yeah, you know, for them to make these posters up and sure. then put them up. Sure. And a nice bit of pacing here. We see Tintin. Saying, go back to Mr. Wang, sees the post, sees a wanted poster of himself on the wall. Yeah, for 5,000 yen. Reacts to it, and then says, there isn't a moment to lose. I must get out of the city. Then we have this quick turn to this half, basically almost a three-quarter page spread of of a checkpoint, a Japanese checkpoint. All these peasants waiting in line at this checkpoint. And this is a great slowdown of the story here. So I must get out of the city, then womp. Yeah, it's beautiful. Stop. It's nicely drawn. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Uh, there should be a, a list of the amount of um, money that's been offered for Tintin throughout the books. Yeah. Because uh, that's happened before, and I'm sure it will happen again. So Tintin is, luckily, someone recognizes him as as uh, as the person, you know, that he's got a Japanese price in his head. Uh-oh, seems like trouble. But What's going on, Dave? Is everything okay? Everything's okay. Because What's that? The Chinese aren't really in the best of terms with the Japanese. But it's money, Dave. What's Why would well, this guy, like, protect him? Yeah, but you know. He uh, hides him in a, in a 
I guess a water carrier, a yoke, whatever they yeah. call it, to carry on his shoulder that he carry the water in. He gets Tintin out of town. <laughs> Takes Snowy at the same. Snowy's very grateful, licks the guy's hand. And that's when we find out that his brother was the rickshaw boy from earlier oh, in the story. that's why he did it. That's yep. exactly right. And so then... What goes around... Comes around. There you go. And so now uh, Tintin's walking down the road, out of town, walking back towards uh, wherever he's going. Talking about a real friend that he just made. Yes, that's right. He's passed by Mr. Gibbons. The, oh, the racist. The, <laughs> oh, the, the arrogant, arrogant Western civilization guy. Yep. And he, uh, of course, sees the wanna poster when he gets to town. And he's like, he says, take me to your officer. I know where Tintin is. Mm-hmm. So then they send out a tank looking for Tintin, which, you know, you'd think that Tintin, you think you'd want a more less conspicuous way of following someone out on a road that has absolutely no, no trees right on also it. what is tintin what is tintin to be arrested for he's a spy that's the that's the idea like that's why they're yeah. going after him now yeah. so he's a spy that's right i guess you go a uh, spy with a tank that seems that doesn't <laughs> seem too overkill and so then tintin hides from this armored car and then uh twice not just once but twice yeah it comes back again and they report that he's not to be seen gibbons gets in trouble he gets put in jail, so oh, now he's got Gibbons. even more of a grudge against Tintin. You know what? I'm glad. Good for Gibbons getting in jail. <laughs> yeah. See how he likes it, yeah. jerk. And then, uh, now, uh, let's go to the next morning. I, I think that uh, we know that, uh, that Dee Dee's mad. Everyone's upset about it, but there's no cure for this stuff. But, uh, so the next day, Tintin is, going, is in a car. He's being driven somewhere, and... Uh, we have a little bit of exposition between the Japanese and the English in the, in the uh, international settlement. Right. The, the Japanese is calling and saying, listen, can we have a little cooperation? We're trying to capture this guy. Right. Let me go back actually here okay, where you sure. have, uh, you know, talking about, you got the mother there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I was talking to, uh, I was talking, my, my sister-in-law listens to this show. She listens to the whole show. So. Hi, Vicky. Yeah. Hi, Vicky. How are you? Uh, and uh, she, uh, she, she likes comics. She likes, and I asked her like if she, she was talking about like if she read Tintin as a kid, and and she didn't. And one of the reasons she was saying was there were no female characters. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading through this one, going like, "Wow, there's none at all, yeah. like at all." Until this is the one. There's one female <laughs> character, and it's the mom going, "My son's in trouble." Yeah. So, eh, that's just a thing. Yeah. You know, it's boys' adventure. I that's under- right. I it's understand that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it seems like you know even uh, you know. Uh, the other books like throw in at least one one gal once in do a they? while. To, yeah, they do. Which they ones? In, usually it'll be like a like I'm thinking like uh, the uh, don't don't they have someone in Asterix? There no. a girl? There's no girl no. at I mean, all. There's the shrewish wife of the chief, or, yeah, or the go. beautiful wife of the of the old man. Yeah, you got. But those are women. those are just gags. I mean, they're not they're not really part of the story. But it's still not... fine to be a gag. You know, it's just like there's at least they got some well, dialogue. There'll be soon. Everyone's be, a, everyone's a joke in Asterix. Soon there'll be Bianca Castafiore, okay. the uh, opera singer. But I don't know if that's much of a. Is that a really a sop to women? That uh, is sort of a, a humorous opera singer. Well, better to. Here's the thing. Uh, as Canadians, yeah. If we see a Canadian represented in an American film, yeah, we go, hey, and you remember it forever. Yeah. You remember, it. and even if it's a negative, you go. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's a little bit of you. Yeah. You want to see you in a story. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. No, I think these were definitely written with as a boy's adventure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Uh, so moving along, continue. Because it's interesting. Hergé uh, er- uh, around this time was asked by uh, Courveillant, the Catholic newspaper in 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 France, right, that that ran Hergé, or sorry, ran Tintin, and they felt that Tintin was kind of weird and that it did, not, it did not have a family in it. There was no family. And so he created a story called, I think we talked about it last time, called Joe, a series called Josette and Jocko. 
Mm-hmm. And it was Joe the boy, Zet the girl, and then Jocko a monkey. And they had all these adventures kind of based around the fact that their father was a was an engineer. Was a, so, you know, that was an excuse to go around the world, to be in India or be making a, inventing a plane and things like that. And they would have all these adventures. But it did not work. It wasn't popular compared to Tintin. Right. The stories didn't, didn't work. And there was a, a girl in there that was shared part of the adventure and yeah. stuff like that. It just did not catch on. No one was interested in it. So it's just a different time. You know, like I know nowadays we read these things and we look back with our own glasses. Mm-hmm. Wearing own glass, we go, oh, gee, it seems disappointing. There's no uh, Tintina, you know, to be uh, to accompany Tintin on his adventures. Why Why wouldn't that be done? Because no one thought about it. No, it's understood. Why, you know, no, I understood. It just was not done. And you know? when you're talking about going with your family, no one has the fantasy of, you know, I want to go on an adventure mm. with my family. Yeah. No, no one has that. They want to go, they're going on an adventure alone. Yeah. There was uh, some, some French writer who said, uh, not everyone is fortunate enough, is, is fortunate, is, as, wait, sorry, not everyone is so fortunate as to be an orphan. Huh. And I think what they meant by that, not that orphans are fortunate, but just that the adventure that comes in stories of being an orphan can well, only come to orphans. It's it every, never, it's almost yeah. every Disney story. Yeah. yeah you gotta that's kill right. The, you gotta, gotta kill the parents. Every Roald Dahl story. Yeah. You, know. you gotta kill the parents. Yeah. You gotta move along. You know, yeah. or just, yeah, or, you know, so not everyone, but lots of Roald Dahl stories take place in this sort of world without parents so that you have this, the adventure can happen because it changes the structure of a person's life, you know. And that's the same in Tintin. There's no, there's no mum there to say to him, Tintin, don't jump on the back of that car and ride that tire, you know, hang on to right. a tire. You could get hurt. And this isn't, when I'm saying that there's no female characters in it, it's not the same thing as we do with, like, race. And we go, like, well, that's how you drew them then. There you go. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, like, if for people today trying to get into this, yeah. you want, when you're young, you project yourself, as we've just said before, uh, onto a character. And if you're a girl reading this, who do you yeah. project yourself onto? You know, you can pretend to be Tintin, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But it's it's a harder no, no. fit. It's just, just, I mean, and it's just the case of where, like, when we were kids, there was the Hardy Boys for boys, mm-hmm. and then there was Nancy Drew or Trixie Belden for girls. You know, you didn't expect girls to read the Hardy Boys because those were boys; those were stories, adventure stories written for boys. And I've never read Nancy Drew, but you know, Trixie Belden stories were written for girls. You know, they have girls having riding yeah. horses and having that kind of fantasy life, and the Hardy Boys had a different kind of fantasy life that appealed to boys, and that was how it was. Tintin is a fantasy that appeals. I guess to boys, and that's maybe a weakness in it, or I don't know, or is it a strength? It's of the time. Well, it's a limitation currently yeah. on people getting into it. Yeah. So, but there are ta- lots of girls that read and enjoy it. Absolutely, so, there you know, are. It's it's a it's a limitation for some people mm-hmm. that need that element in a story for them to enjoy it. I think there has to be like just generally, uh, it's very difficult, not difficult, but I think it's unusual when you think back on the stories that you really liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that you don't relate to any of the characters directly. Like usually, there's some character that you f- see yourself in a little bit, or you project yourself into, and that's that's who you go on the ride with. Yeah, you know. So that's the thing of that. Will you tell us what you think, audience? Write us uh, write us later. Okay, back to the story, because otherwise this is going to take 17 hours. <laughs> but we are halfway through right now, pretty much, pretty close to it. Here we go. Yeah. I. So yes, then we have. Uh... So Tintin disguises himself as a general. It's a very good gag, series it's, of gags here. It's a good series of gags because what's it works and it doesn't work. Okay, it works as a gag. Yeah. It's great as a gag, you know, the the whole uh you know, he's he's uh he didn't shave, so he gives him uh four days detention. You know, very good sir. Yeah, he's doing everything silently. Yes. Which works uh because it looks like he's uh, got a lot of power. That's right. If you don't talk, you've That's got right. power. Everyone's paying attention, the, they're interpreting the what you say. The problem is is this is the Japanese army. Mm-hmm. No one is going to be speaking French, so how is he understanding 
what they're saying, or is he just reacting I after think they he speak? Reacts, yeah. So he's just going by by maybe protocol. So how people would react to a general. Okay, but look at what he does, though. Yeah, he just says the four. Well, no, no, yeah, this thing. He, he, he goes, and they're interpreting it. That's right. So he just goes in, he salutes. Yeah. Well, that's correct. Yes. Uh, he points at, uh, you know, uh, the guy's face. Yeah. That's enough. He holds up a four. Yeah. He interprets. Yeah. Walks, uh, points to a piece of paper on the ground. Another four. Yeah. Because it worked before. And then... Uh, gives, him, he, gives him four more. Right. Because he understands the guy's like, oh, but I, but I tell yeah. you. Well, then eight. Okay, now I understand. <laughs> Keeps walking. Yes. And uh, and doesn't uh, yeah doesn't at any point speak you know any uh, you know any any language and mm-hmm. uh, there we are. But so then the, then we, the classic gag, of course. Then we see the actual general outraged. So right, he's jumping up and down in wearing, his underpants, in, in his boxer shorts, his uh, are they polka dotted boxer yep. short or, box, or boxer shorts? Sorry, because hearts would be a bit much. And then we see and I like I like the reveal of Tintin you know revealing himself to be the 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 false the fake general with Snowy uh, you know suspended in his suspenders. <laughs> Uh, as part of his, as part of his paunch. stomach, yes, yeah. yeah, it's great. That is pretty good. Also, yeah, it does like it is nice seeing him just take off the hat, the glasses, the mustache, and look at me. I'm a generic enough looking character that you yeah. can just put these things on me. I can be another character in this story. That's how this works. So we have a little bit of business. Uh, Tintin has to get into the international settlement. He doesn't have papers, so he kind of does the classic. What's that up there? Everyone looks. He races to a bicycle, takes off, and then has a most fortunate fall into the back of a truck, where then he rides to freedom, and then. We have an interesting uh, sec- section here because it was a bit of a, a callback to Cigars of the Pharaoh again, when he goes into a movie theater yeah. and he sees and there's a there's a mo- uh, I don't know so either the shortest movie in the world or it's a trailer for a film. Yeah, that is strange, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and so but we it see could this, be a trailer. Yeah, so we see the no, scene. No, 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 it isn't because the uh, poster is out front. Yeah, the sh- the chic something rather. Wait a second, it was supposed to be no. The movie was uh, Arabian Nights. Was uh, the movie that was so we being told. filmed. So this probably is a trailer or for just, Arabian Nights. Or he just forgot. Or maybe they reused footage. Yeah, who knows? So we but, see the scene of the guys horse whipping the woman. That, right. That you it, were asking me, though, earlier uh, about asterisks in here. Yeah. Not the character. We've oh, talked enough about that. Yeah, and, it is in this one as well. Okay, there we go. Where yeah. it says, you know, we interrupted this scene, asterisks, bottom of the page, see cigars of the pharaoh. Yeah, it does the same thing in here. All right. So they were referring back to the to the... To the previous book. So, yeah, I guess as a kid when I was reading, I was like, oh, okay, so that's that's actually after The Scars of the Pharaoh. So then you're kind of like curious, and well, where does Tintin in America fit into this? Mm-hmm. This is really strange. And where does the broken ear, like, oh, Because there was nothing in, there was nothing in Cigars of the Pharaoh saying, oh, you better check out, you know, uh, the uh, Tintin in America. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, confusing. Um, so we get, we're watching a little bit of news footage. And the other weird thing is that Cigars of the Pharaoh is drawn in a different style than, than the Blue Lotus. Than the Blue Lotus, so you feel like it's actually a much later book, because mm-hmm. if you know, so you look at the drawing the, in Scars of the Pharaoh, they're much more sophisticated than what you're seeing in in the Blue Lotus, which is just sort of on the cusp of of uh, Erge really becoming a superb I really like artist. how this is uh, colored. The black and white coloring here looks yeah. nice. They do uh, they do film quite well. I found it. I was looking at your book. I found it a little too dark for my taste. So if you look at mine, oh okay. I feel, I feel like it's got a little bit more. Maybe my pages are shinier than a yours. A bit more so than, uh, than Now uh, I like that the, the news story is Paris welcomes international cross country champion who says uh, I'm very happy to have won and and I'll try to do better next time. Listen, yeah. guy, cut yourself a break. A, bit, a little bit of classic uh, sports uh, cliche. It's you yeah, know, give it 110 percent. You know, it's a team sport. You know, it's better, you know what I mean. Like it's so he's just echoing. Erzsey's probably making fun of the sports cliches of that time. Yeah. And then there's a, a dog show. 
And, uh, well, that's snowy. This way you can't bring a dog to a movie theater. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, he barks along with it. Unless you uh, pay for for those VIP seating, then you can bring a dog. And then we see a clip of Shanghai Professor Fang Haizyang. Ying? Fang Haizyang. Fang Sure, let's go with that. Is home from his lengthy uh, lecture tour in America. Uh, the World Authority on Madness. Wow, that's pretty good. Just generic mm-hmm. madness. Yeah. Enjoys a well-deserved rest in his exquisite garden. Well, you need that after all that mm-hmm. madness. Sure. Uh, at which point, that's uh, that's the guy, says yes. uh, Tintin, to cure Wang's son. So he immediately leaves the, the- leaves the theater. Yeah, everyone's telling him to shut up. He uh, <laughs> he uh, motions to a rickshaw driver who stops for him. Mm-hmm. Easier than getting a, a cab, I guess, because the rickshaw driver isn't going as fast. So he can slow down much more quickly. And pick you up. Also, by the way, if he helps that rickshaw driver out later, maybe a brother of his will save his life. That's why it pays to take a rickshaw. You don't get that with a cab. Good for him. So yeah, takes the ride. And so yeah, then he makes a he goes to goes to the professor's house, and then he waits for him. So we have a scene of him waiting with a, a little clock uh, above the scene showing yeah, the time. Yeah, nice way of past. showing the time sure. going. And then uh, and then Tintin says he finds out that he's somewhere else, so he goes to visit there. But he wasn't there. He didn't show up at there. So no. where's he going to go now? Now he goes back to the Palace Hotel, uh, where he runs He finds into out that the, the professor left with one of the guests who was also at this house. Mr. Rapapapa. Mr. Rastapopoulos. You have trouble with these names. Absolutely, I do. And so uh, so then Tintin's excited to know that his friend, Mr. Rastapopoulos, is, is also in Shanghai. So he to the Palace Hotel, he says. And so he goes and visits... Rastapopoulos has a long conversation that once again explains to him his adventures and all the things that have been happening. And Rastapopoulos expresses his usual surprise and and he likes to, He likes to have a little dinner or sit down with Tintin. He likes does. to get filled he in. He likes to hear what's happening in Tintin's life. And it's okay. He's obviously, he's obviously likes to, he's a good listener. Mm-hmm. He obviously, you know, despite the fact that he seems like a, you know, kind of a blowhard yeah. and, a, and a big, and a big kind of big But he's star. also an artist and he likes to listen to stories. He likes to, to hear a good story. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's good. So then, so Tintin tells him his story as he leaves. And then, uh, now we have him the next morning. He's walking along the street, and he kind of goes back to see what uh, he wants to trace the the route of the Do professor. A detective work, sure. He's he's a detective. Later later on, he will become more of a detective. Sure. Right now, he's still a reporter. He's still kind of he's on the cusp. He's on the kind of on the yeah. The when they talk here. about what he is, they will call him a reporter. Mm-hmm. But yes, but he is doing some detecting work here, and he finds a business card laying on the street, and he's like, "Oh, huh, what's this?" Saying W R Gibbons, I can do that name. Yeah, uh, director, <laughs> uh, American and Chinese Steel Incorporated, New York, Shanghai. Yeah, in the original uh, in the original black and white, it was American Anglo Chinese. And for some reason, it was written as Stell Company Limited. Huh. So there's a little bit of a typo, but no one realized it because they didn't speak English. So Stell is as good as steel. And uh, so he goes to visit, and surprise, surprise, W.R. Gibbons is the uh, blowhard, the racist, racist blowhard that has been working against Tintin that we, because of this grudge, because Tintin broke his walking stick. Uh, and just because he was beating a man with it. Just because he was beating a man with it. So outrageous. <laughs> By the way, apparently he doesn't need the walking stick, so that was, he was just a faker anyway. You know, what's f- funny is that uh, you know, Gibbons, of course, really knows nothing about it. He's he se- he seems to be not involved in this scenario, and then certainly, of course, as soon as Tintin leaves, uh, there's Gibbons Quick on call. the phone calling up the the police chief and uh, of the international settlement. Now they're on the move. They got to go get Tintin. I think we can move through this pretty quickly. Sure, sure. Tintin's taken by the police. He's returned. 
to the International Settlement Police Headquarters, who then turn him over to the Japanese. It's pretty cruel, the treatment is he's going to be executed. Not the first time this is going to yeah. happen. Yeah. But it's the first time he's had to wear this block around his neck yeah. and be paraded around town for three days. Yes, this was a this was a, a traditional execution in Japan. Wow! So it says, uh, on the, written on the block, is condemned to death for opposing the Japanese army. That is, that's just horrific. And uh, you got Snowy there crying behind him. Then we have a typical Tintin scene. Someone decides the best way to, to deal with Tintin is to bribe him. Yeah. We all know how much Tintin loves money. and uh, But Tintin, the true Boy Scout that he is, throws out not just the money, but the man as well, offering it to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, out wrecking, seat of wrecking his another outfit of his. <laughs> so, And then we have a scene of, of Tintin at night in, uh, in his uh, prison cell hearing the sound of the grinding of the blade being sharpened, which is a great little sequence there. Mm-hmm. And what and the Cigars of the Pharaoh in this book, we find now it's become much harder for Tintin to escape from jail cells. <laughs> yes. He used it's, to just be able to sneeze yeah. and the bars would fly off. Now, like in the last one where he had to try and rasp his way out of the, you know, with a file, small file trying to cut through the bars, and then even that didn't work. Uh, now we have, uh, now we have, you know, Tintin... And I, I guess is Mits, and we have a little scene of Mitsuhato dreaming about him being killed. Mitsuhato, for some reason, is dreaming that he's being he is being carried on Tintin's tail. Uh, tail, yeah, his uh, shirt to the tails. pearly gates. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't get what that means, really. Yeah. Is it guilt? Maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but but Tintin spots a rat or a mouse uh, yeah. going through a crack in the floor. Tries to claw that space open and, and can, can do it and in a, in a horrific scene to me breaks his nails yes and is shooting pain yeah. of the yeah. broken nails just oh that's so gruesome that's great and just the fact that he tried to do something and he can't yeah. i always love when when movies do that or when literature does that when there's that moment of like here's how i can get out of it i'll do this thing and it doesn't work and you're just like that's good because it, it raises the stakes a little bit and it kind of takes away from that superhuman element that tintin kind of gets weighted down with in, yeah. in the especially in the later stories and then, uh, yep, uh, the the stone opens. It says, a uh, person in it says, don't make a noise. Come quickly. Mine, there's a ladder. And Tintin, now getting fussy, almost snowy level fussy, yeah. goes, ah, but what if it's a trap? Yeah. Look, look, man, you're in prison. You're getting a guy goes, come we escape. All, I assume we're also coming to the end of the sequence for publication. And so we need a cliffhanger here. So, oh, well, nothing to lose. And then you have the stone go down with a clack. Yeah. And that's all you get for another week. So I like that. So... Then we revealed Mr. Wang. Oh, good. Good stuff. So uh, he's uh, leading Tintin out. He took the uh, building, took over the building next to the prison. Yeah. This, By the way, this is a good way to break out of prison. You sure. Uh, find the building next to the prison and dig a tunnel. Yeah. It only works if you've got three days to do it. And if the prison's kind of built in a, in a very narrow tenement area where all the houses are very close together. Right. And then you've got to make sure you know exactly where the cell is. Yeah. Otherwise, you're freeing a lot of murderers before you get to this one guy. Maybe that's what happened. We don't know. Yeah, it could be. He might have been jail. He's in jail for a few days. As uh, Mr. Wang, uh, you know, I guess freed murderers and and other criminals, arsonists, arsonists and terrible <laughs> people. Uh, you know what? I bet the uh, prison would notice everyone vanishing and mm-hmm. probably give it a once over. That's true. Enough. Yeah, before all this happens. Probably. Also, you know what? Tintin is doing the old scrapey scrape on the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. By the way, here's my question: yeah. Where'd that mouse go? Like, if there's that big hole in the in the ceiling, so the mouse just jumps through that hole. Well, the mouse is dead. That mouse doesn't know what he's doing. Bad job, mouse. <laughs> I think the mouse will be fine. All right. Well, let's see. We never see the mouse again, so we'll never know. Uh, so, yeah, he explains the escape. Uh, everyone's furious about the escape. Flaming Fujiyama, Tintin has escaped. Yes. Yeah. 
I think there was a suffering samurais as well earlier. Yeah. Once again, uh, Hergé, well, I guess it's a, tra- it's a translator. It's either the translator or Hergé. Good swears. Yeah. You know, when you can't swear, they, they make up good swears. This book wasn't translated into English until 1983. Is that right? It just, it, the uh, British publisher, Methuen, didn't, didn't see any value in this in this book. They just didn't see, think people would be interested in it. So it took them a long time to actually put this one. I'm wondering if I did see this one when I was a kid because, you know, I grew up in Montreal. And so we did have French comics as well as yeah. English comics. It looks it looks familiar, but who who knows? So they're uh, they're furious uh, about the escape. Uh, send out the tank, and oh yeah, we, they're doing a double check here. On, uh, it's on, also not entirely complimentary to the British, so that may have also been a possibly a stumbling block. Uh, there's a they suspect that uh, Tintin is escaping in bags of rice. Uh, so they, they very smartly take a bayonet yeah. and uh, jam it through all the bags of rice. Mm-hmm. We see uh, stars coming out of one of the bags of rice. Yeah, what does that bode? Yeah, well, probably not. <laughs> uh, but they let the bags of rice go through. <laughs> yes. And so then a armored car comes up, an armored vehicle comes up and says, uh, asks about this wag- this cart leaving with all the, the, the rice on it, and says, uh, and sa- says, you've been tricked. Tintin was on that. And then drives off. And of course, it turns out that Tintin is driving the armored vehicle mm-hmm. out of the city. Very so, clever fellow. So the stars mean nothing. Or it means rice feels pain. Or it just means that it just shows the force of the bayonet going sure. into, the, into okay. the sound. I'm just saying, every time we've seen stars before, it's a person but feeling pain. they're not colored. They're black and Oh, white. they're black. No, there is a blue one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you almost had me there with that. <laughs> but they're not as colorful as the normal stars, you see. Right. So Tintin does make his escape. The, uh, the, the I guess, general uh, that he was impersonating earlier has had enough. They steal a whole regiment and... Uh, uh, if they stole a whole regiment, all you'd uh, see would be a puff of smoke. You're all uh, terrible. Just give them a real brow beating. Uh, why didn't you go after them immediately? Answer me. Why? Huh? Why? Why not? Uh, we couldn't, General. All the other vehicles have been sabotaged. Then, for heaven's sake, why didn't you take airplanes? Cut to airplanes. Yeah, an interesting shot. Cause the people are st- look like they're in a doorway. I guess it's a doorway of the town looking at the planes flying out of it, mm-hmm. out towards the countryside where Tintin and Mr. Wang have gone. So, but the airplanes can't find anything, and the general's back to being mad. He should be mad. He had his clothing stolen from the guy. I bet he got a beaten from Tintin too, probably. So, uh, so Tintin decides he's going to go to Hukou, this other city where where the ransom is supposed to be paid for for the professor. So he gets on a train, and so this is interesting. Like this story, where the, the way the story is going now, we have okay, we have the Japanese. Mm-hmm. We know they're involved in the opium trade, right? But really, all the business with Tintin has nothing to do with opium. There's no discovery of opium. There's no right. He's you know, not being framed for heroin like in fra- previous yeah, stories. Yeah. yeah, it's he's he's kind of operating in this different storyline from the opium, even though that's kind of driving it in a way. I mean, the whole thing now he's looking for the professor in order to find a cure for the madness. Right. Just. He's taking a personal thing. He's not yeah. doing the bigger story mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, you're it's right. It's almost incidental. Once again, kind of like Scars of the Pharaoh, or the opium part of the story was a sort of incidental. Uh, even though it was um, kind of an engine driving it forward, it never had center stage. And once again, it's the same in this in this book. Now we have him on on the train, and then we discover that the line's been the cut. line has been destroyed. It's it's somehow it's the uh, ground has collapsed and the the and the uh, from I guess from the river eroding the the bank and now the the uh, tracks have gone right into the river. So Tintin's looking at it and he sees and this is a sequence I really like because okay we get this. So let's just start at the beginning. This is on page 42. Yeah. Let me ask you, why do you mm-hmm. think that the water is yellow? It's a silt in the water. Okay. 
Yeah. That's a long time problem of the erosion of the silt in China because that's right, why the yeah. Yangtze River is yellow. All right. That makes sense. Partly because they've cut down all the trees. So they've taken away the protection. So in order to, for agriculture and other things, they've cut down all the trees along the, along the banks of the Yangtze. And also, I guess they use them to build houses and burn them and burn them as well. And so what they did by doing that is they created a situation where there's no protection, there's no root system holding the, the soil together. And so suddenly since that time, they, they've had all this erosion and into the water. So that, that is why. Okay. Glad I could answer that for you. Asked and answered. Well, <laughs> well answered as well. Um, so yeah, I just love this scene because, okay, we have him staring along this railroad track that's going down, pointing into the water. And then he looks, so he's kind of looking to his right. Then we hear help, help. He looks to his right. Then looking to his right in the next panel, he's undressing. We see a hand in the water that kind of breaks it. So we have a sense. So he's starting to pull off his jacket. The hand in the water gives this break in time. So then we can go back to Tintin, just wearing a, just wearing a kind of a tank top. Tank top, yeah. Jumping into the water, going forward, going right, swimming right with snowing beside him, brave snowy. Then we go up to the next page, still swimming right. We see the hand of the of the of this person. It looks bad. Then we have a break, because now Tintin is he's still looking right, but he's not moving right. He's actually moving backwards against it. Right, he's pulling the guy out yeah. of the uh, out of the water while Snowy is so, helping. So that's interesting because what it does is we have this forward momentum that's pulling us along, and then we get to that panel where he's backing up, and it gives a sense of now it's exertion. Yeah, because he's going back against his own energy, right? And then right. and the and the river, yeah, of course, the current of the yeah. river, yeah. And then a further break, we have him coming out of the water, carrying the boy now fully to the left. So. It, now it's changed the direction of the sequence, so so now we're moving to the left, so against the forward momentum of the last one, so it, it slows it down in your mind. You don't realize it when you're reading it, but it, on a subconscious level, it pulls you forward and then it pushes you back, and it reverses it to give this sense of, of slowness. I just And it's it's brilliantly paced, and I think it's a real turnaround for, for, for Hergé, you know, uh, from... from Tintin in America, where he kept getting it wrong. There's a sequence, and I talked about it. Yeah. I'll mention it now. I put a post up that kind of talked about Tintin in America and um, and uh, Tintin in the Congo. And it's talking about some of the changes in the pages that happened between the original black and white and the color versions. And some, But some of the corrections he made aesthetically as well, and one of them was a sequence in Tintin in America where he's chasing Bobby's smiles to a cabin. And we see in the sequence, in the black and white version, it's basically broken up into a series of individual drawings because he has the the directions all wrong so he has tintin working against himself throughout them and so you never get a sense of flow and it breaks the it breaks down the sequence mm-hmm. when he redrew it for the for the color version he had learned so much more and so he knew exactly how to pace that sequence and so you get a real sense of forward momentum of stopping and then carrying forward again you know it's really really well done and i talk about it in that post so if you're interested it's it's on the website it's called tintin it's called show notes, I guess. Uh, I'm going to do one for on sneakydragon.com. That's right. Now, uh, this here's another thing I like about this is this this story mm. has had Tintin actually being heroic. Yeah. Instead of just, I mean, a lot of times Tintin just walks along and a guy hits him in the head and gets dragged and he's yeah. just got to defend himself and you know he's mm. he's uh, moved by circumstance, not you know altruism. Yeah. But here he sees a person in danger, goes in, and I like that Snowy as well as you say. Yeah. He Snowy's in on it too, and he's That's determined. Right. He's they're going to save this guy. Yeah. The only the only thing that I find kind of funny in this is when they bring him to shore, put him down. He's alive, thank goodness he's alive. Yeah. And by the time he wakes up, which I guess is seconds later, Tintin has decided to fully dress himself again. Yeah, that's right. So well, we can as- you can assume that, or we can assume that Hergé has given us uh, a break between between uh, the co- between the panels 
so that we know that it's taken longer than just a second for this for this boy to to wake up. Right. So it's long enough that Air, that uh, sorry Tintin could could dress himself. Right. And uh, this is those are subconscious tricks that are put into comics that that help to break up action. You know, and you don't realize it in, in your mind what you're, what's happening, but it, it your eye picks it up, and it, it you know your brain understands it, even if you don't consciously recognize it. Those kind of breaks and stuff. Yeah, like these that. are. I mean, page forty two and forty three are great. To yeah. Me. yeah. Uh, so uh, we meet Chang, and uh, he asks, "Why did you save my life?" And he's confused because he would think like Europeans are white devils. You're violent. Yeah. You're crazy. That's right. And here's where we get. You know, j- we're just going to lay it out. We have stereotypes about each other that are stupid. Yeah. And so he lays out the the stereotypes that all Chinese are cunning and cruel and wear pigtails, much like the ones we saw in the past. Yeah, that's right. And are always inventing tortures and eating rotten eggs and swallows' nests. Uh, the same stupid Europeans. I like that he just says, if you're if you're bigoted, you're stupid. <laughs> yes. Listen, I just beat a guy up for being a bigot. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you're if you're bigoted, yeah. you're stupid. And Tintin's telling you this. That's right. If you were me two years ago, you're stupid. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the same stupid Europeans are quite convinced that all Chinese have tiny feet, and even now little Chinese girls suffer agonies with bandages uh, designed to uh, prevent their feet developing normally. They're even convinced that the Chinese rivers are full of unwanted babies thrown in when they were born. And the kid gets a good laugh at this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty funny. You know what? Boy, our cultures are both dumb about each other. Yep, but we're kids and we're smart. Yep, haha. So, good. Just just a note that uh, the boy's name is Chang, which, of course, was a tribute to Hergé's great friend, Chang. Yeah, yeah. nice. Uh, also the most common Chinese name for quite a while. Um, then, is, is that uh, right? Yes, it was. Huh? That was a trivia question that I won. Um, I won something on that once. Oh, okay. On a radio uh, thing. Hmm. Anyway, so uh, now we're, we cut back to the general and... The villain, the main villain, whose name... Oh, he shall not be named <laughs> He's so villainous, you know. So villainous. He who shall not be named? Yeah, I have news for you, General, about Tintin. Oh, is you it, know where he is. Is it Voldemort? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> I have just received a telegram. He caught a train this uh, morning, morning for uh, Herkov. And, uh, but that's, Hugh Cow. Hugh Cow, thank you. Look, man. It's okay. You can fix all this in editing, but you're not going to. <laughs> it's a lot so of So who's to blame? It's a lot of work. You. <laughs> Or you could do this show with a robot that can pronounce everything correctly. Either way, <laughs> it's, it's fine. fine. I'm, I'm fine with this. All right. So uh, we'll get to some nice bonding between Tintin and Chang. That's nice. And, uh, well, it's time now to try and uh, catch catch Tintin. Yes. What's great here is, okay, well, we have a sequence with Mitsuraju talking to Dawson, the chief, of, the chief of police of this international settlement. Now, they agree the Japanese can't leave this area. They, they can't leave the area they're in because... Tintin has gone deep into China, so we're outside of Japanese control. So now they're going to have to send in some police to take care of this. And what's great, of course, is it turns out it's the Thompsons. Yay! That are here. Now, Tintin is, or Erge has realized, not Tintin, but Erge has realized the value of having characters who can come back again. Because you create a, you create a connection between stories and a connection between characters that you can have a lot of unspoken yeah. things, you know, an unspoken agreement. So when they meet again, it's very, it's easily done. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You cut a lot of, a lot of uh, business out. That's also, right. you know, yeah, if you've got a police officer already in your uh, repertoire, yeah. why, why draw another, another one? one? Yeah, why? Yeah. Especially when people seem to like these guys. And that's right. And they're so great. And what's what's really amusing, of course, is that the Thompsons, and this is the first time they do this, they'll, they'll do it throughout their, their career, is to, did they do it in the, oh, no, I guess they did it in Cigars of the Pharaoh. They dressed in Arab dress yeah. in there. Uh, and now in this this time they dress uh, in Chinese dress, but only they dress 
in the European idea of, of well, Chinese Well, that's the dress. thing. Like a page and, earlier, we've been yes. told, you know, they're and so if, dumb, they, they think it's like this, right. and they dress exactly like... That's exactly. Uh, if you look back at that drawing, their clothes are exactly the same. The yeah. yellow, the yellow uh, robe and the blue... Well, even before, okay, but even before that, something that we kind of skipped over was yeah. they don't like this job. They say it's a rotten job, yeah. just our yeah. luck, ordered to arrest a friend. Once yeah. again, if you didn't read uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh, well, how do they know? How mm-hmm. does they know Tintin? Yeah. But there you are. Uh, yeah, so, the, so basically all of China is laughing at the two of them dressed in this way. Like they're all just having a great time. And, uh, and the, even the dog <laughs> is looking at them stunned. It's yes. a really beautiful picture. Of yeah. everyone having a good laugh and pointing. <laughs> and, uh, of course, they walk right by Tintin, Chang, and Snowy. Yes, because they don't recognize Tintin. He has to chase after them. And then they're, they yeah, embarrass, yeah, they're so embarrassed. Police, yeah. But what I like is that they, they hide behind their fans. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They hide behind their fans. They're while embarrassed. crying. Yes, yeah. while crying. And they show, they show uh, Tintin the warrant for his arrest. Yeah. And also that Chinese authorities have to aid in, in his capture. Because they are police officers first. Friendship yes. comes second. Well, it's their job. Off- yeah, yeah, but also it's good because you can use that in later stories. Yeah, probably it's their duty. Yep. And but what's interesting is that Tintin's like, okay, you can you can turn me in. Yeah. But it just I guess because he knows the Thompsons, it turns into a disaster. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, um, Chang switches a note, switches the uh, the note that they were carrying uh, with 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 their uh, warrant and to a note saying that they're madmen. Mm-hmm. So they end up being being uh, hauled off by the by the Chinese authorities. And uh, Tintin is freed. Yeah, I like the uh, chief of police laughing. He's got a good laughing face there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does. So, but someone is passing uh, messengers via pigeon. That's right. What are they called? What are they called? Uh, kind of courier, cur- carrier, pig- carrier pigeons. Yeah, yeah. carrier pigeons. I was going to say courier pigeons, but those that's, are much more expensive. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. That's, carrier pigeons. That's freight. They only carry freight. Though these, so. these don't look like pigeons. They look like doves. Yes. But maybe not colored right, because, you know, there is a separation from neck to body that doesn't seem to be you Yeah, know, that could be. Anyway, it's a well-drawn bird. Let's give it that much. Then okay. then we get cut to, uh, we cut to uh, the neck. Let's just, so we, so, yes. Let's just move Ma- along. Matsuhirato is, is contacting someone. We know that the wheels within wheels are turning here. Yeah, we're used to this. We know how this goes. <laughs> we're always cut back to the villain. And then uh, then Chang is uh, showing uh, Tintin the next morning uh, the old temple. Uh, they mean and uh, but but there's a fellow there who's uh, taking photographs. Yes. Asks you, hey, you want to get a picture taken together? Why sure. not? Take five minutes out of your time. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? They're friends. It's a way to memorialize. It's their not friendship. like this guy has a gun hidden in the in the camera. What? What's the? Oh wait, he does. Sorry about that. <laughs> has a gun hidden in the old camera. But, uh, shoots Tintin. Apparently dead. Yeah. It's a it's a real vi- real vibrant picture of a uh, real action. You know, and but it's weird. Is Tintin has his fist ready? He's going to punch the bullet. Well, he could also be clenching his yeah, fist in pain. True. Though I like they have a nice x-ray of the yeah. uh, camera showing you how it works. And I was thinking, when I saw that, I thought, gee, that's kind of like Chester Gould, like Dick Tracy. It's almost kind of that kind of gimmick that they would have in that in there, where you have that kind of shot of, like, you know, the little circle. This is what, you know, like, if he's using his two-way radio, they would have, like, a close-up of the two-way radio. So that yeah. You, and it really reminded me. But then uh, uh, Dick Tracy started in 1931. And so I kind of feel like it's too soon... Even in the run of Dick Tracy, that early on, it didn't have a lot of gimmicky stuff like that. Yeah. So that came a little later. And so, and I feel like that it's unlikely that uh, Hergé would have even seen it at that, at that time. So just two great minds thinking alike. Yeah. Now yeah. the uh, the villainous cameraman, uh, he's tackled by Chang. 
and Snowy tries to attack him, but uh, Snowy gets a bop on the snoot uh, from the villain. Uh, and now now we're all really mad at the villain. Yeah. I mean, you shoot Tintin, uh, maybe. We'll give you that. But you punch Snowy, no, you're going down. Yeah. Uh, Tintin uh, tells him, uh, maybe I'll photograph you. And he means that while holding a gun at his face. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Having none of, having none of this. And uh, then the uh, the photographer's given up given up a bit of the business. <laughs> yes, they get him to talk, which is which is good. So then I don't know. We, yeah, the Thompsons have some a little business themselves. Yeah, uh, as they do, they're good for a laugh. They spot Tintin at the railroad station. Uh, Thompson falls out and uh, breaks his nose. Breaks his nose. Uh, the Thompson is mystified. He's like, "What an accident! It was amazing." Uh, yeah. Thompson's out of it, but we know that because he's dreaming about our suitcase and Tintin. A lot of people dream about Tintin. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. They have a lot of Tintin fancies. Well, then the other Thompson, who's doing all right, he trips as well. He breaks his nose. And we have completed our comedy relief. <laughs> okay. Let's get through it. Pretty good stuff. We're getting to the end, folks. Mm-hmm. We promise you that. Okay. So what happens next, Dave? So now we cut back to uh, Shanghai and the International Settlement. They know uh, they they know that... Uh, they knew Tintin was on the train, but he's gone. So we find out that Tintin has has got snuck onto a different train, is hiding in a freight car, and is getting off in the yard. And he and uh, Chang sneak out into the city. He returns to Mr. Wang, mm-hmm. and then they start their plan in action. Yeah, Chang has become a pretty major character in this mm-hmm. story yeah. for someone introduced so late in the story. Yeah. That is unusual. Yeah. To like, Tintin makes a friend in the last 12 yeah. pages, and the friend helps save the day. Yeah. So they have. So they. Uh, sn- he sneaks to uh, Matsuhiratu's house, discovers that there's some sort of meeting happening at the Blue Lotus. They head back to Mr. Wang's. Discover that. Oh no, that's not. What, sorry, they discover the plan. They head back to Mr. Wang's to tell what's going to happen. Then they discover that Mr. Wang and his family have all been kidnapped by. We assume by Matsuhiratu. Yeah, the servant has been chloroformed. He sees a note on the floor that says Blue Lotus Wang. So off they go to the Blue to Lotus. To the Blue Lotus. It's, once again, it's it's uh it's Tintin, so all this is done at a breakneck pace. Oh, it's know, going super cars fast. Cars racing. We are getting near the end of a Tintin story, so things are go go going. Yeah. Well, it looks like Tintin is going into the Blue Lotus. We see a fellow there with a big beard, clearly Tintin. Yes, yeah, uh, dark glasses. Round head, uh, yeah. It's it's couldn't be more Tintin. Yeah. Uh, except he seems to actually be doing the opium. Yeah. Uh, will there be anything more, sir? No, no, thank you. Happy with the opium. And then, but boy, you know, here seems to be the first rule of opium. Uh, dens. You can't rat your opium fellows out. <laughs> I mean, if you can't trust your opium dealer, who yeah. can you trust? Yeah. The part I love about this though is that they bring the they bring in this bring in Tintin in quotation marks after a beating after a beating start pulling on his beard to pull it off. Yeah. Not just once, but twice, really hard the second time, and it does not come off. So they pull his hair, and he's Fujiyama, not Tintin. Untie him, and he goes, "No, I am not Tintin. I am the consul. He's a diplomat." He's oh, an opium boy. smoking diplomat. Sure, yes. I love that. With Seems a, like a weird with what would be called a hipster beard nowadays. Yes, that's right. Full on. Look, beard. if you grow a beard and a hipster hat. If you grow a beard that size and you're in a comic strip, someone's gonna tug at it. I'm just gonna tell you that much. Well here's the thing. He's wearing a hat, sunglasses, has a big beard, and spats. Basically he is dressed like a hipster. He is actually. Yeah. Yeah. But he's going you know, he's going out to his artisanal opium den. <laughs> so why not? Now a lot of a lot of uh, plot is given away, and it turns out that uh, Tintin was hiding in the vase. As Hence you would have cover. known, the cover—that's yeah, right. That's right. Uh, not my favorite cover for Tintin, by the way. A little too staticky for me. All right. Well, draw a better one if you can. <laughs> I could. And oh then... well, a challenge, uh, <laughs> a challenge made. So Tintin uh, sneaks to the docks, following mm-hmm. following uh, Matsuhiracho's men. 
hides in a barrel. Yep. Is loaded into a truck, and then is brought. He doesn't realize this, but he's brought directly to Matsuharato. Oh, that's lucky. Who knows that he's inside the barrel and he's captured? Well, now he's got Tintin over a barrel and inside a barrel at the same time. <laughs> so now uh, he is uh, told dip- by Matsurado that he knew he was in the barrel, that everything he'd done for last little while was known by Matsurado's men, and all was organized to bring him to that that spot. Well, I guess there's no other uh, reveals we're going to be having no, now. So no more reveals, that's Except it. for... What? We got him, Grandmaster. Got it's, uh, now you're going to make fun of me saying this name again, aren't yes, you? Yes, sure. Mr. Rastafinarianism. Rastapopoulos. <laughs> yes. Oh, da, da, da. Yeah. Who we've set up for like two uh, collections here. Yeah. You know, he was the guy that yeah. we mentioned at the very beginning of the story. Who is he? It's yeah. him. Yes. The filmmaker. So uh, there you go. He's the leader of the gang and shows him a tattoo that if you did not read, again, Cigars of the Pharaoh, uh, means nothing. Yeah. But if you did, you go, aha. That's right. He is? Mm-hmm. Well, he does say the sign of the Pharaoh kiosk. So we know... And then it says down below, see Cigars of the Pharaoh. So we know that it's related, even if we didn't read the book. Right. We at least have a bit of a clue. And now in a very cruel uh, turn of fate, uh, they hand uh, the son, uh, uh, Didi, Didi uh, his, uh, his uh, sword, and, uh, and tell him to kill his father, his mother, and Tintin. Yes. Yeah. Or, but he doesn't think it's killing, of course. It's just telling him the truth or showing them the truth. But, thank goodness... Uh, someone, again, this seems like, uh, you don't have to do it this way, but, uh, shoots the sword, breaking it yeah. into, uh, it's who, more exciting that way though. Who is it? Who could it be? Mm-hmm. Chang. That character we just met. <laughs> Who's <laughs> and, the hero? And some other men who are in the em- employ of the Sons of the Dragon. Let me, so. let me, like, normally this would be a problem for me, uh, plot wise. This feels like a very, you know, what they call nowadays a Mary Sue character. Which is, boy, I wish I could be in my favorite show, and I'd be the character that comes in and becomes the best friend of the character that I like, and who saves the day at the end when the character is in danger. Yeah. That's, if you ever read any fan fiction, uh, people will normally will write a character that you'll go, oh, that's really you inside this, and Chang borders on that. Uh, but, you know, because we get such a nice lesson about stereotypes and all that, I'm willing to like brush that aside. I'm okay with Chang yeah. showing up in the last couple of pages and saving the day. Fine. Anyway, maybe I'm not that great with it. I'll say I'll, I'll think I'll think on it. Anyway, Chang saves the day. Uh, the other barrels were filled with men. Uh, you thought you knew everything. Wrong. Double no. Th- these guys now and we there we are. So uh, the villains are all tied up. Another big exposition dump. <laughs> yes. It looks like the kind of thing where the letterer's hand will start to hurt a little bit, <laughs> explaining everything. But you kind of get the gist, everybody, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now we got to go back to the opium den. Well, they don't actually go to... Well, they kind of do. What they do is they they uh, they uh they don't know where they are, so they kind of sneak out of the basement of this... Right. This is a basement. They go up the stairs, follow a light... Go enter an office through, through a safe. Through a safe. That's actually very cool. I mm. like the idea of like a, a a hidden door that's in the back of a safe. Yeah, that actually makes sense, and I've never seen that before. That's very clever. And uh, it leads them up, yep, to the blue lotus, which looks great, by the way. The yeah. blue lotus has never looked better looks in this even, whole story. Looks even better in here. Actually. Yeah, doesn't it look beautiful? Again, classy joint. You, like I know you don't like to do opium, but wouldn't you like to go there and like you know just sit down and have? How do a, you know that about me? I don't know. Pretty straight edge. <laughs> All right. We've got a big page of the Shanghai News. So, yeah, typical. What's interesting about Hergé is how often he used news, like news sources, whether radio or newspapers, in order to, to forward, move the story along and give us information that 
it just be impossible to tell us in the amount of time you can tell in a pretend yeah. news article. So yeah, we find out that uh, the professor has been found, and that we have Tinden's story, and then we cut to uh, a sequence in the League of Nations where Japan is is uh, you know is kind of in a sort of a bluster. Uh, saying, you know, that they were innocent of all charges, that, you know, the attack upon the Shanghai Nanking Railway was planned and executed. Or, sorry, we discover, sorry, I should say it a different way. Someone is accusing the Japanese of, uh, of attacking the, themselves attacking the Nanking, Shanghai Nanking Railway and creating this incident. And of course, the Japanese deny it. They make a big fuss. They leave the League of Nations. And then they quit the League of Nations, which is actually what happened in, in actual history. That's oh, okay. What All right. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that. That seems like a big thing to do in a story if that didn't yeah, happen in yeah, reality. No, that actually did happen. All right. So off they go. And then uh, two gentlemen want to speak with the with Mr. Tintin, and it's Thompson and Thompson. Yes. And they're a little, they're a little embarrassed. Right. They are a little blustered. They're a little embarrassed. You know, they're back from, uh, you know, the hospital. Yeah. And uh, they're they're happy though that everything worked out with uh, Tintin. Yes, and uh, they uh, they decide to they're going to keep their eyes open in the future, never fear, uh, and then fall down the stairs and break their noses again. <laughs> because you're comedy relief, and that's what you are. Yeah. What's What's curious though is that uh, is that there's a, there's a weird cutaway to Dawson and and, and Gibbons, the police chief, and and Gibbons, the uh, the racist bully, uh, sitting there. Um, maybe kind of plotting something further? It's hard to say. Like, yeah. It's weird. It kind of gives you a sense of something else is going to happen. Then, yeah, we cut back to the Thompsons falling down the stairs, and then we turn the page, and it's the end of the book. Yep. It's the end of the book, and what's interesting, I mean, they have the banquet. Uh, in this case, uh, Tintin is not dropped through a trapdoor. No. They have a banquet in his honor. We learn that uh, uh, the madness uh, medicine... Uh, yeah. will uh, will have another, which it's is nice because, cure, yeah. because the characters that we uh, liked earlier on in the previous story, yeah. uh, they're going to be okay as well. So yeah, that's great. That's right. It's all well, all well that ends well. And then, and so this is uh, some days later. So we know that Tintin and Chang have spent a bunch of time together. Yeah, Tintin again, as we said last time, isn't one to go. I've done my job. Goodbye. Yeah. Tintin will hang around a couple of days, take some praise, and eat a couple of free meals. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not? Well, he's made friends. He has, I know. You're it's a not kid. just an adventure; it's a friendship that he develops. Absolutely. Again, it's a kid's fantasy. So, would the kid leave? Yeah. Going, no thanks for me. Yeah. No, you'd stay and you'd have a couple of uh, dinners. Some, yeah. Have some you'd, bird's nest soup. Have some bird's nest soup. Why not? Try it out. And uh, and then we have, which I think is interesting, a kind of a almost a. A parallel of Chang leaving Erge. We have Tintin leaving Chang. Oh yeah, yeah, that's nice. So that's the end of the end of the story. And by the way, the, uh, Tintin has now moved on to one steamer trunk plus one uh, suitcase. So even well, more. Well, he's got to pack his Chinese clothing. Of course he does. Yeah, he has received quite a bit of clothing on this trip. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and this time he did not pack Snowy. I actually really like uh, the scene of uh, Tintin waving goodbye with a handkerchief and uh, and Snowy waving with both of his little paws. Yeah. That's uh, that's quite beautiful. Yeah, it's a very sweet. Uh, it's a very sweet ending, and uh, you know, aside from the two villains going, maybe we'll do mm-hmm. something else sometime. Meh, yeah, you know, yeah. there isn't uh, really another big cliffhanger here. This isn't an Empire Strikes Back. Here we have our Return of the Jedi. Everyone's had their party. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's they've fine. had their banquet. They've seen the ghosts, <laughs> and now, uh, and so what's so now? Unlike with Cigars of the Pharaoh, where Tintin was in India at the end of the story and heading towards China. He's probably heading back home. And so what did the Le Petit Ventiam do this time? What did they do? Well, they had a big welcoming for Tintin. So once again, they had Tintin come and kids could come down and see him. They actually had it in a big, uh, like a big hall. 
so people could come and meet Tintin in this big hall. I'd like to see some of these news articles about that. If there's any, I've got some pictures. Maybe please. I'll try. Unfortunately, the book I have them in it's a double double spread, so it's got the big giant crease down the center oh, of one okay. of the pictures. But there are some other ones uh, showing the actor and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll uh, scan those and, and put them nice. up. And uh, as David mentioned earlier, uh, he's uh, put some notes about our show up on our page. Our page again is sneakydragon.com. Yep. Uh, so go check that out uh, sure. for some extra information. And as always, we like to hear from you. There, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we missed. Yeah, there's one about uh, there's one about Tintin. Well, there's one about Tintin America and Tintin in the Congo, and there's another, and there'll be a, there is another one about uh, Scars of the Pharaoh. Oh, fantastic! Just talking about some of the change and stuff like that. Really, the Blue Lotus. There's not much to say about it because he had planned it so carefully with Chang. When he went to redo the color, he changed practically nothing. Just a mm. few little touches here and there, a few cha- name changes. The name of his hotel was changed. The change from the Scots from Scotsman to the Sikhs, which made sense, which yeah. made more sense. The addition of four different pages at the beginning, just a few little alterations like that. Other than that, it it you know was left as it was. Yeah, and so you're seeing uh, for once without reading a black and white version, you're seeing Hergé's style of that time period. Right. You know. Yeah, very well drawn story. Uh, mm-hmm. Moves with a good clip. Yeah. Entertaining. Enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, if uh, if you've got opinions, and you should. You know, uh, you should, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you, you should have opinions. It's your opinion if you've got an opinion. Uh, but we always like to hear from you. And sneakydragon.com, as I said, is our website. Uh, you can post uh, messages there. You can also go to our Facebook page. We've yep. got a Totally Tintin uh, Facebook uh, page. We'd love you to join. Yes. You know, uh, it's nice to... Please like it. Yeah, please hit the old uh, like button uh, there. We'd appreciate it. It's, and It's as, one way to keep up with what we're doing with the show as yeah, well. Yeah, there's extra stuff that we put on there as well. And we also uh, connect to different articles about Tintin. Mm-hmm. So if you're a hip to the Tintin, that's a good place to go. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, if you go to iTunes and you leave a review for this show, that helps other people to find uh, this show and helps yep. us out. So we yep. appreciate it. We've had The a- more reviews you have, the more attention gets drawn to the show and... Yeah, we'd appreciate that. Yeah. So if you have uh, if you have the time, uh, please do that. That'd be great. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I think that's about it. Am I am I right or have you got anything else, uh, David? I just have one last thing to say. Please. Domo Aragato, Mitsu Hirato. I'm I'm so I'm so very, very sorry for that. I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. And thank you for your kind attention. We'll be back next time with uh, the broken ear.